Welcome to the Somewhat to Say podcast. I'm Chip Nill, pastor in Eastern Washington, father of four, happily married, and I'm glad to be here. I'm Justin Heineke. Um, I've uh, lived in Eastern Washington half my life. Um, I've got a degree in uh, from Gonzaga in English and a master's from Bemidji State in English, and I am also uh, married with a father of four. And what would you say the purpose behind this podcast is i think within christian circles and especially believers they feel like there's a sense of uh obstacles in talking about a lot of subjects within their faith communities within their churches and with other believers and certain things that people just don't discuss candidly and i think that we ought to as believers have honest discussions about anything any faith should be able to be explored and any subject should be able to be explored through the lens of God and the Bible. And so I'm excited to do that. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of issues. I've talked with coworkers, for instance, that um, that um, have could have biblical aspects. And I've always wanted to have the answers for that. And I think that I feel like this will be a way to explore the answers with that uh, about that without having to um, sound stilted. So I'm looking forward to this. Okay, uh, welcome back to the Somewhat to Say podcast. Um, I'm your co-host, Justin Heineke. Chip Nail, pastor of Sela Bible Baptist Church. All right, cool. Uh, and so we're back, finally. Oh, I feel like I, I, this is the kind of setup I'd like to do a lot more often, you know? Tim Pool have this as my daily job, but once a week's cool. Daily? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of doing that, but. Ooh. Why is oh, we got the infinite. Uh, the infinite thing going on. Staring to the void. Yeah, it's because. Does it actually go infinitely? Probably. Display two. Okay. Like I'm just curious from a technology standpoint. I, at some point, it has to stop being able to render or process. It's got to. It's got to stop sometime, right? Each one's got a little different delay, so it's kind of like looking into the multiverse. Let's see, that one's even worse. Huh. I don't know. This is odd. Maybe if I switch to something else. I think that's what 
what it is. start out too strong. No. Well, you know, the expectations need to be built up. Exactly. Not destroyed at the beginning. Maybe that could be our theme. We just start every episode with some technical problem that we can work through. Yeah. We definitely talked about our shortcomings. Or my shortcomings. Um, Let's see. And it's still, well, it's kind of a... It's still doing it? Out since since main part's just the audio anyway, <laughs> and this is just for fun. Um, we could still talk while I'm trying to figure this out. Absolutely, absolutely. Well. So, so we were going to talk about. Nailed it. Yeah, I am now. Oh, jeez. Okay, um, so we were... Okay, we have two topics of discussion. We have the technology we were going to talk about. Right, that's for later. That's for later. <laughs> we were going to start with... We were really just going to ask, because as we looked at our topics and different things we could talk about, everything was just heavy and serious, and yeah. we were going to kind of even mention... And ask and maybe just try to figure out why is everything today so serious? Yeah. Uh, good question. Maybe they're like me and they forget things all the time. <laughs> no, that could be, that'll be my theme. You know, I'll be like, no, he's just, he's just being forgetful again. No. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when I'm at home... I just, I don't know, I feel this need to try to make things more lighthearted. Yeah. Because it's, um, I think uh, Pete and my, my kids, and um, probably because our fault, obviously, because um, we've been raising them, but, um, and my wife, um, take things entirely too seriously all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's always, there, there is a constant, need on her end to make sure everything goes well I guess and then, yeah. but she doesn't get any sleep too so that kind of adds to it yeah that'll do it yeah and especially with someone that clearly wears her out yeah she's like a succubus and it's not that 
she takes like all of our she drains our energy and then uses and then channels it into being destructive for 20 hours a day <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean well maybe 18 maybe about 18 hours a day at least okay and she's just well if you're listening to this kelly we're sorry you were <laughs> sucking this here today but <laughs> no, no juliana's the succubus. oh okay okay not, not her no jeez okay <laughs> Well, no. <laughs> I thought you were saying that about your wife, that no, she just no, no, no. takes in all the negativity of the day. She, you know, thrives that, on it. She might, that, it might be part, partly true. I mean, I think there's some people that get fueled by negativity out there. That's uh, true. You know, it's like uh, their, their day's not complete unless they have something to complain about. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean... It does seem that way, just even in in our in our question of why is everybody so serious. It seems like there are people that I mean that is their objective, their goal yeah. when they wake up. They want conflict. They want to make something serious. And even you go across the web and you go to lighthearted videos, jokes, YouTube's, and there's always some comment with somebody starting some feud, and almost always not even about what is happening. Yeah. Right, like, uh, boy, what was I looking at? I was—I can't remember if it was a recipe or a video game. People are discussing, and all of a sudden, somebody puts in an anti-Trump meme. Right. And it's like what? <laughs> well, and it's like, what does that got to do with anything? And, yeah. You know, and then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And you know, that doesn't make any sense. And yeah. I said that's uh, you know, kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh. You know, I, I think I said something like it's, you know, just like um, a Democrat to just insert politics where there wasn't any before or something. You know, right. it's, it's all over. I know. It just I know doesn't. It's, yeah, and it's 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 crazy, isn't it? What did I what did I see? I saw a video. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's a a cheetah going down to take a drink of water and gets attacked by a crocodile yeah. drinking water. And I watched the video. The top comment was, "Why are you filming this?" Why didn't you help the cheetah? <laughs> Have they watched one of live shows before? <laughs> like, I don't think even Jane Goodall stepped in. She just observed too, right? Who, how could you? First um, of all, who's jumping in the water to save a cheetah from a crocodile? Steve Irwin, maybe. I don't even think he would. <laughs> even oh crikey! Too, if you're, I don't understand the, even the thought process of like getting upset about animal rights like they have to kill each other that's how they survive right that's well, part sure. of what happens yeah and uh oh boy but just that like nothing can just be enjoyed no yeah it's like um and pretty soon even the funny guys on youtube that people look for a break they gotta find something wrong with them like the news keeps trying to say PewDiePie is a white supremacist he's just a dude that's from Sweden living in Britain that has an offbeat sense of humor. Yeah. It's like, why is he, you know, and they call, try to say Ben Shapiro's alt-right, you know, and he's just, you know, he has a funny way of putting the opinions of others because he can belittle, belittle them, and if you're not smart enough to figure out what he's doing, it sounds, you know, it doesn't sound right, you know, or it doesn't, it sounds yeah. like he's doing an awful comment, but he's just really making fun of you. <laughs> And yeah. taking the facts to do so. 
no, it's just the one that really got me is when they decided that Alex Jones couldn't have a, a voice anymore on any platform. Yeah, why? Because I'm like, why? first of all, it's it's obviously entertainment. Yeah, like it, this is fun. This is not right. Like you know, he did have. <laughs> Maybe he had some truth in there too, but yeah, certainly, right? Clearly, clearly, he wasn't going just for that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have things where he was showing off strength or ripping off his shirt or screaming at right. them. Right? You know, he knows what he is. Just like you know, he knows what sells. Just like Ozzy Osbourne knows what sells, and he acts like an idiot every time he was on that um, Osbourne show. Yeah, it's like he's clearly not an idiot because look how far he is. Right. You know, and it's like, and he can sing still, and he can write music still, and it's like, clearly he's not this dummy that you see acting like he's, you know, got the brain of an eight-year-old. Right. He, he knows what sells, and I was telling, I was telling people that, uh, no, no, he knows what he's doing. He, he's, he's doing this because it's making him money right now. They're like, are you sure? Right. I'm like... You know, just that's a that's a trope. You know, an old rocker that's like lost his mind. Yeah, it's like you know. I think he clearly knows he he had a spot on TV, and people didn't tune in to see him act all intelligent. Yeah. So, that was my feeling, and I almost had I couldn't quite convince people because this is the image that they saw. Right. You know, I didn't watch a whole lot of that show, but. Uh, I didn't either, really. Yeah. And, but I almost guarantee that there's somebody out there complaining about how, oh, it idolizes drug abuse, and look at the message you're sending. You yeah, know? and you know, you, you can't have you can't have fun watching that because it's not the right program. You know, right. It's, or you know, this thing's you know, the Mar- Avengers are toxic masculinity. Okay, we'll put in all female two minutes in there that makes no sense at all. You know, just to show people female power. It's, right. You know, it's like I can't just enjoy, you know, I'm not watching this for, I'm not watching a show like The Avengers for equality. You know, I'm watching it for the pure entertainment aspect of it. But I'm right. not allowed to enjoy that because clearly women have to be the ones in charge to some people or they have to be the ones that make the difference. It's like, why isn't Captain Marvel a big part of this? It's like, well, because her character sucks. You know, they, right. you can't say it, you know. <laughs> You, you can't enjoy a movie for the sake of it being a movie. Right. You know, you got to take that seriously, too. And, and that's what's crazy about it, because I don't care either way. You know, if the storyline dictates, I have a female superhero. I think Wonder Woman was a good movie. I mean... I haven't seen it. Really? Yeah. I didn't see the second one, but the first one was good. Well, the second one, supposedly she fights Trump, a uh, Trump character, like character. Right? It's like I thought it was like 1984. I know. No, it's clearly a reference to Trump and his presidency. Why? Because, because female, because director, because Trump's male. You know, he's he's like the he was like the epitome of male power in America. You know. Yeah, so clearly, feminist director, and has to have a female superhero beating up a Trump character. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, I don't feel interested in seeing this. I'll still watch it. I don't care, but... Well, Chris Pine's character dies in the first one, right? Right. Well, he's in the second one. I thought... Wait, does he die in the... I think it's implied well, he's that in he the gets second... old and dies. 
he's in the second one as a young guy. Does he get like cryogenically frozen? Don't know. Like Captain America? But they said this was a problem. And that, you know, that wasn't quite explained well enough for some people. Or you see that. I do have problems with inconsistencies in movies like that. Like a plane just happened to appear above it. Yep. <laughs> that fucked me so much. Or every Star Wars movie ever. What? <laughs> oh. So I can enjoy Star Wars? You can enjoy it if you want. I'm not going to stop anybody from enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. You don't want to... You tell me there's not a, a thick series of plot holes in the Star Wars universe. Oh, boy. You're going to disagree on that? We don't have to get into it, but you're going to say... I'm going to disagree with the first six. Being that way. The last three? The last three? Seven, eight, nine... I can see this. But not the first six. No. No plot holes in that. Not enough. Despite the fact that they had to go back and make a whole movie to explain how the Death Star got blown up. No, that Because it didn't make sense. They always talked about that. That the Rebels got the plans, all this stuff. They went back to do that because they could make a movie that didn't involve Jedi. They tried to... They were filling the plot hole. They were like, I know this is dumb. It wasn't a plot hole. They explained that the entire time. Okay. Princess Leia explained that while she was getting captured. I mean, lots of people lost their lives for this information. Let's hide it in this droid. You know, it's... They they explained that. That wasn't a plot hole. And that happened right before that scene. Yes, but they did not explain in any way, shape, or form why there would be a blatant weakness in this what would that thing have cost? $200 billion? (laughs) Oh, at least. The second one was twice as big? Yeah. And it wasn't even finished. No, it's, yeah, well, you can't you can't count for all contingencies, right? (laughs) Well, and then, you know, you have your you have your reactor, your source of power that's going to need an exhaust vent in the very center of the thing, which kind of makes sense from an engineering standpoint, I suppose. Where so, so that's where the bounds of current technology have to be. We have to draw a line there. Well, and it's got to have the a fact vent. that they have light on swords that arbitrarily stops at some point in distance. We it, can suspend physics for it, that. They've made one of those. They've made a lightsaber. That can it's a laser that well, cuts through things. It might be a protosaber. That arbit the the light just arbitrarily stops at a particular length. Well see, I was thinking about that and they never quite explain how exactly how they make one, right? But it's like how could you get could you make one that had like mini lasers that focused in on a spot that just stopped? In, in just air? Yeah. Where it just had a handle and light came out and like, then just... I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna quite... You know, it's like, I don't understand things like that. I, you know, Unless it's not light and they just call it a lightsaber and it's really not light at all. It's a totally be. different form of technology. It might be. I don't know. 
Just saying, there's just inconsistencies. Well, you can't. They've never. Well, if you want them to explain everything and get all boring, then you're going to have something that's worse than Star Trek. I mean, even Star Trek didn't explain everything. That's true. Everyone's like, oh, they're the scientific one. We're based on science. It's like, no, you're not. Of course not. Yeah, but, you know, that's what a Trekkie will tell you. But you can't have a movie that's entertaining and then make it sound like a docuseries because you got to explain all the technology that's being used. Well, the question is, is this a movie that makes me suspend belief in terms of technology? What are the premises I'm supposed to be coming to this movie with? Well, like, I can watch a Superman movie because I'm coming with the premise that here's an alien that has unbelievable power. It's not believable, but that's what I'm coming in with. Well, what is the premise I'm coming in Star Wars with? Like, technology isn't a thing anymore, real no, science, we throw that out the window. <laughs> well, first of all, that you're coming in with the premise that there's life out in the universe and. That nowhere on any of these planets do that, you know, these planets all have oxygen. These are people that aren't from Earth. Right. They never say, you know, they say, and they're not from Earth. They have all these inhabitable planets that are in the same solar system. So. Oh, are they all in the same solar system? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, um. It says it's the, the whole thing is a galaxy far, far away, right? Yeah, but uh, they... Do they stay in one solar system, or do they do traverse I saw the map. Galaxy? You know, they have, like, inner core planets, and then, you know, I think it's okay. a big solar system. But yeah, Earth's not... It's not supposed to be anything to do with Earth, right? No, not at all. England still managed to colonize over there somehow, but... <laughs> no, I think he just liked British actors because they could act. You know, they lend some credence well, to... Well, speaking English, so obviously... Well... I know, but what do you want them to speak so we can enjoy the movie? They can speak English, but then you have aliens speaking alien languages. Right. Well, that doesn't matter. Um, we, we just we only need to understand the main characters. So if you had made them all speak English, right? Some of you know, almost all of them. It's like Java can't. That's fine. He was going to. If he saw the thing, he was actually a human to start off with. They had uh, they had uh, filmed a scene. Are they technically humans? That's another question I have for Star Wars. Well, they never say that, do they? They don't, as far as I know. Well, see, and they're not from Earth. So, if you can't base their life on the premise that it's like life on Earth, then why compare their technology? I'm just comparing science. Why compare their science? Well, because science... I'm not talking about what their technological capabilities are. I'm saying the laws of physics. Am I supposed to suspend belief in those when we come to these things? Well, clearly we're already suspending belief in the fact that there could be an entire solar system out there that has inhabitable planets, every single one of them. (laughs) I mean, even a planet that's completely made of volcanic matter. Right. You know, but that still has oxygen. But I was good with that, because they gave that premise, and it writes it right on the screen before you even watch the movie. Right. <laughs> well, this, that's, well, they did that with everything, though. So that's like, I can come in with any premise you want, 
But then if you throw me a curveball of things that don't make any sense within the confines of your pre- premise, that's where I get... Well, it's... You lose me. You, you have to... you got to realize, though, it's not... You know, Star Trek is supposed to be from Earth. So therefore, you can... So therefore, you have a basis in what we know as fact, what we know as technology. And so therefore, if it doesn't make any sense in Star Trek, I can see this point. Why would the laws of physics be just accepted as different in the Star Wars universe? Okay. Well, does the force make any sense? No, but again, as a premise you're coming in with, there's a force. All right. Well, you know what that, I mean? That does, does the law of physics say that somebody can go like this and pull something from across the room? For example, you come into Iron Man. Iron Man is a good example of this. Okay. The premise I'm coming in with is that he can put a nuclear reactor into his body and it can power immense technology that doesn't make any sense. Right? But then, so he's got this flying suit, he can do all these things, he can fly through the air. I'm good with. Here's what I'm not good with. He falls out of the air in a piece of iron, yeah. metal, and he hits the ground. He's dead. G-forces kill you. Doesn't matter if you're surrounded by metal. Well, maybe he has the anti-gravity thing going on inside, like uh, you know, like all these spaceships that make all these maneuvers, and they're not all going all over the place. Not having gravity wouldn't change it. Well, and but see there, because you're getting the g-forces from falling from the sky and then abruptly stopping. You don't think he has some sort of atmospheric thing going on inside that suit? That wouldn't do anything. Wouldn't do anything. No. You're still moving at a particular speed and then coming to an abrupt stop, which puts G-forces on the body, which would kill you at that speed. Well, who's saying that he was going the speed of sound, or you know? He's going terminal like velocity of a falling body at least but people have survived that and not having armor on people have survived people have survived things yeah and no I meant survived falling out of like a plane right and you know walked away from it like actually walked away from that kind of thing yeah so a guy that's in a guy that's in a metal suit's the problem for you in that movie when Just because you have an account of somebody falling from a, a height of all the people that have fallen. Well, there's a lot of... Yeah, but see... And you're not talking about people that fall and hit terminal velocity of a falling body and then hit the ground. You're not talking about those people. I mean, these people that survived hitting the ground, what did they hit them? To... The only one I've heard about is a guy, the best one I've heard about is a guy who fell out and had all the training to slow his body down as much as he could, and then hit a kiddie pool. That was the craziest one I heard, and he survived that. But he said, water. I've never heard of a guy fall out of a plane, dead weight, and hit ground. I'm not saying it couldn't be some freak thing that could happen, but that's an anomaly. To have over the course of movie after movie, him doing it time after time after time, and being unscathed. Again, it's supposed to be a normal guy in a suit of armor with the technology. 
Okay, but but that's. So I'm good, like when Thor falls to the ground, and because he's not a normal, I'm supposed to believe he has godlike power. Yeah, I'm good with that. But Iron Man's supposed to be a regular dude. But in Robert, technology, yeah, but Robert, but Tony Stark's, uh, yeah, Tony Stark's not a normal dude. He's a guy with a reactor as a heart, though. I know, I know but he doesn't have well, superpowers. It's a magnet keeping the shrapnel away from his right. heart. Right. He he doesn't have super. Well, he has a super mind though. That we don't, you know, the intellect that we don't supposedly is just incredible. So, how do we how do we calculate that versus what we know of, uh, you know, as intellect? Um, maybe he designed the suit where he could absorb it somehow. I don't know if how that that's possible, but uh, you know, it's. So we're supposed to believe that this guy who's clearly self-clothing, narcissistic dude that has like the greatest mind that's ever been, you know, in engineering and, and he designs a suit to go into battle with based on something he, he came up with in a cave. Yeah. And, well, it's... so. But the thing we have in problem with, how do we know, um, I don't know everything he put into the suit. They didn't explain how he built the suit very well. Right. So maybe he put something in there that helped him cushion the blow. Maybe he figured out physics, because clearly he figured out how to time travel. Well, right. So it's like, and I can understand some of the concept of time travel how it could be theoretically possible. I think time travel is one that is definitely not physically possible. And there's, I don't think there's, to go backwards, I'll say that. Well, not backwards. No, that there, it's not, it's not, you gotta think of time as not backwards or forwards, but as just is. But there, there is a sequence to things. Not necessarily. That it's just like, um, I forget how it went. What was he talking about? Einstein's third law of. Anyway, um, how the the example was. Um, everything's affected by time because it's in motion. Right. That if you're in motion, you're affected by time. But faster you go the less time affects you right so um he's like he t and the example is given where if you're going 99 point whatever time you know percent of the speed of speed of light right and uh you had two twins i, I explained this to you before right all right you had the two twins and one takes off for four years the whole journey takes him four years and he comes back the other twin, and he's 24 years old. The other one's 64 years old. Yeah. And it's, and it's because, and when you go that faster, mass increases, like the faster you yeah. go, which is really interesting. So it, uh, I'm, I forgot how to explain that. It's where basically the faster you go, the bigger you are, the more time doesn't affect you. Right, right. Uh, and so it's not... Which that part I get, and I've read that book actually from Einstein. 
yeah. not time travel. And that's wow. totally, I'm good with all that. That makes perfect sense to me. But he was Obviously, talking, relatively has been proven. He was talking more about time being a, a, a thing. Like, it just exists. There's not a backward or forward. It's just there. It's more of a journey. That sounds great, but I, I can't. Doesn't, I, I don't know quite. The, you can't apply it to things have happened, right? Right, but you know, but it's more of a journey. Like, uh, yeah, but we are sitting we were, here as beings today. But if we were capable of going in the right speed or circumstances, we could just walk back or walk you know, journey this way or journey that way and time's not a forward or backward, it's just there. It... But I mean, something happened in the past that led us to this moment. I know, but... And that's gone now, it's already happened, no, right? There's, there's so, a... but I'm saying this, so if you were able to go backwards, let's say that science existed where you could go back, you create, you know, paradoxes instantly. Right. But there's a there's I am not explaining it right because I don't remember everything. But you have to think of time as just there instead of a linear as as a linear journey. And but that but by definition isn't that time? Wouldn't it not be time if it didn't function that way? Right, time is a construct. The construct of time, what we mean when we say time, is the sequence of events that happen. I think time was a way of something God, um, the concept of time as we know it was something that God came up with so we didn't go nuts thinking about how he could exist and know everything that's going forward and backward. Yeah. Like, uh, like he knew, he knew. When Adam, went, he knew what was going to happen when Adam, you know, when everything was being created. He right. Like, this yeah. is all going to go to crap. This is all going to be because of that dude right there that I'm forming <laughs> in the dirt. Right. And all this is going to happen. I'm going to have to do all of this. And I, I think it was something he came up with so we could understand things. And we, our minds want to get blown by the concept of God and the fact that he could see what our ancestors, or what Adam's ancestors 6,000 years, in, or whatever, into right. the future were going to be able to do, and um, and everything that they were going to do, not just that they existed, but every action they were going to take. Right. And he knew all that back then, and I think it's, I think it's something he came up with so we wouldn't go crazy thinking about it. I mean, I think that's a fair statement, but I also think that God exists outside of the physical plane of reality. Right? Nothing physical existed until he created it. But then he made a physical world that has physical rules and sequence is part of it. I think you can explain God as part of the plane of existence though. Because, uh, for instance, um, I'm going back to that rule where everything that's in motion is affected by time. Okay. If God is omnipresent, he's not in motion. He doesn't move. 
And it says in the Bible, he doesn't move. Yeah, but God is not a physical being. But you can still say he doesn't move. He says, I, I, you know, God never moves. God's omnipresent. Right. So he doesn't move at all. So he's not affected by time. Because he's not in motion. And while that and might be true, but it's also not true in the sense that God wouldn't have been affected by time, even if He wasn't omnipresent. But if you think about that, no. But if you think about no, because other gods are affected by time. You know, our concept of gods are clearly affected by time because they age and they have kids. But no, this because what you're saying insinuates that there is a um, principle or law greater than the power of God. And God no, is operating is within its power. He is so meaning, law. if God was like this, time would affect him because he essentially is a slave to time. No. And his omnipresence is the only way that, that he, he makes time. time. His, he is that reality. He, you know, he's, he's in, you know, he is that. Um, that, uh, that you have, um, that, that since he's not affected by time, it's, he can look, you know, he can look forward and back because it's just there. He's not having to guess, you know, that's why you can still have free will. Right. You know, you can explain it that way too because he's, he can move, you know, he can just look over here and say, okay, look, that's them doing this. And I know what's going to happen because I can see it happening. Right. And I can look back and see that too. You know, he can... I think if you think of... But that's because, and you're using an example, but that's because he's outside the physical plane of existence. I think it's because he is the physical plane of existence. I think he came up with... I think I think he came up with the idea of time so we wouldn't blow our minds thinking about this. What I'm saying is that you can't have a physical realm of existence without the nature of sequence... So See, without not, getting I'm bogged down really, on time, there has to be sequence. I'm not really explaining it this way. Well, it's. But are you following me? Like, for organic beings to exist, they have to come from something. Right, but that doesn't necessarily mean. Meaning there has to be a first, <laughs> and there has to be a last. Right. In anything physical. See, I knew I should have wrote this down. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll uh, when I get the chance to to study it more, I'll I'll bring this up again, because uh, I'm clearly not explaining it to the best of my ability. I hear what you're saying about about God specifically being outside or within or is you know whatever God is within terms of time and His relation to it. We know He is above it. He created it. I'm talking about for us to physically move along the plane of time disrupts the idea of sequence. So if I go back... No, it's like you're not capable of going back because you're in motion. You're, you're, not, you're, you're not big enough to not be in motion. I had it down. I had I had the whole explanation down, and I'm just not making sense right now. Yeah, I know. I'm just 
just saying, I don't think people think of the concept of time in the correct way. And I think there's clues in the Bible about it. Like, you know, how many times did uh, um, did Paul reference uh, life being a journey, you know, or a race? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, because he didn't... I think there's 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 a few clues here and there you can look at, and I've I've looked it up, and but, uh, that's a problem when you don't write notes down too much. <laughs> but I, I think there's clues throughout the Bible that you know basically that uh, we don't think of time the right way. Like Paul had some concept of this, and he could see it in the writings because he spent time with Christ one on one. Right. And uh, he never. Oh, he I, I he uh, he called everything a journey, and you know, and it's like called life a journey instead of like a. And that's what I kept going back to. And I, well, what did he know that uh, about time that we didn't? Well, of course, the Bible authors and, you know, from James says, but our life is but a vapor, appears for a short while. And so in terms of the length of time, and even Paul says this, set your affections on things above and even relating and has written many times in relation to the fact that we will be there much longer than we're here. And so they do use time in that sense of, Life is short in comparison to eternity outside of this existence. Well, see, eternity, when you compare it to our existence, doesn't make sense in the traditional sense, does it? Right. So, you, you know, I think it's because we, I think because we as beings aren't capable of thinking time in the proper, putting it in the proper context. I just... You know what? I'm going to look this up. I'm going to have to study this now a lot more. You know, I, I really want to write a paper on it one of these days. But I'll say this. Even different from our eternal states, from God's eternal states, we say both are eternal, but that's not an equitable word to use for both. Because when we say God is eternal, we mean God always has been right. and always will be. Right. We say we're going to go into eternity or we're going to be in heaven for eternity. That's actually very different because there's going to be a finite point at which we enter and it continues forward eternally. Maybe it's just a stop. A stop on, on the journey. Not... Never mind. I'm getting a little off topic with this. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I don't know what was our topic. Why is everything so serious? Yeah, exactly. Why is the eternity serious? He has all these notifications. You know he's going to be mad that I did that. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, my computer. <laughs> I don't want any notifications for anything. I don't either. But he has them on because he's, oh, he's looking at, he's watching videos, and he has a computer on so he can do Rocket League deals. He, he's basically a, tr him and my, my boys don't play a lot of Rocket League, but they play enough to be, Trading the 
the Rocket League uh, currency and the stuff that you get on there, you know, because it goes up and down in, in value. Uh, kind of like, you know, Bitcoin's not... Okay. Like, yeah, it's... Like there's some there's some skins for cars or some cars that are worth like if you were to actual uh, take the Rocket League currency like what you can buy it for in their shop yeah that there's some cars that are worth a couple hundred bucks that's crazy you know there's there's one skin that's worth four hundred dollars and you know this is stuff my boys have been able to get because they're trading back and forth and getting up into the thing yeah they're not actually using like maybe they started out with five or ten bucks worth of Rocket League currency, but they're not trading like current money to move up in these things. They just make trades and they're mastering the stock market right now. Yeah, <laughs> and he has this computer on all the time while he's doing whatever it is with the TV, so he can constantly make trades. And some of these notifications I'm getting it has to do with that. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness. But I don't know what. What do you think? Uh, what, um, there's got to be a root cause of why people take things so seriously, like the concept of time. <laughs> I think you know. I mean, why can't we enjoy things? Why can't we be jovial? I think there's a lot of factors at play there, and I think anything like this, I really think we do an injustice by saying here's the reason and given one thing this is why right here you know okay. it's because of soy products or whatever right like you know just throw something oh, yeah. and you hear people all that you know the problems we have is because of this or this you know where i think there's a lot of factors first thing i would think we have to ask ourselves are we more serious than people used to be okay maybe you not. know what i mean i don't that I feel like you'd have to have some kind of empirical data to show that, you know, that today it feels like it, certainly to everybody. Are we angrier as a species? Well, the question is, are we angrier as people, or do angrier people have a greater capacity to communicate that anger today than they once did? Well, that's always the, that's always the problem, right? I mean, I think... I think we have a greater capacity to complain um, and get our voices heard because we're all connected by technology so much and it's because we all felt like we needed that connection um, yeah. you know, since the beginning of time but uh, now that we have it and now that it's there always and can't you know it's like then it's, then it's not going away is it we can't even ever take a break from it right I read a, and I, this is interesting because I read a book and I read about, you know, human type stuff, how the human mind works, how we develop relationships. And I read a book on just developing human rapport. And one thing that it showed was that statistically people are more likely to identify or have a rapport with somebody who brings up something that they can have a mutual dislike of more than if you bring up something you can have a mutual like for. Mm. Many of I said, hey, I like tacos. And I goes, I like tacos too. That's less of a binder than if I were to say, I kind of hate tacos. And someone goes, you know, I hate tacos too. That develops a rapport statistically greater. So I think you give where in our 
society now, people that are angry about something have a platform. They don't have to have a platform, but they have this false belief that people care about this opinion. I mean, 30 years ago, if you hated a movie, you told two friends. Yeah, you yeah. much care for that movie. You didn't go leave. Nobody left movie reviews. No. Nobody was standing outside movie theaters with signs. That movie stunk. I hated it. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody did anything. Right. Yeah. You just maybe told somebody, you you know, and you left it that. You didn't go any further than that. Where today, now, somebody thinks, I should talk about this. They post on the internet, and then other people respond, and then it fuels this rapport and desire to hate stuff. We're united by what we hate. Yeah, but I want wonder um, why this led to wanting the censorship of opposite opinions because we used to welcome that discussion you know there used to be a concept of hey you know this is you know America you have the first amendment you know now it's like that doesn't matter so much your opinion doesn't need to be heard and it's right. dangerous why are the words so dangerous now I think this is my opinion which is part of the I think we are resegregating ourselves. But not by through technological means that exacerbates any feelings of hatred or animosity towards the enemy, the other people. You know, you go way back to pre-desegregated America when segregation between blacks and whites were big. And there was a lot of weird things that were believed, you know, about each other. Uh, they had a lot of different ideas about the way things were, and this was the enemy, and man, you know, people of color moving into our neighborhood are going to do, you know, they just had all of these feelings of distrust and hatred, and you were the enemy. And a lot of it wasn't even based in reality. And when segregation stopped... I mean, a lot of those kinds of things started to resolve themselves. Right. Well, now we're seeing even those things become big again and then become big in the waves of political movements, race. I mean, all these different things because we don't exist in... I mean, where you live now is is much less your community than where you go online. Mm. You, I mean, you probably don't know what your neighbors think about... Politics or anything, probably. Yeah, nor do I care. Right. <laughs> but but if I follow somebody online and they're like, you know what, I hate everyone that voted for Trump, I'm be like, well, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Right. So your your community is less about your neighborhood where you live, and it's more about the neighborhood you built on the internet. These are the voices I hear. These are the people I identify with. And the more we spend time around that, the more that we look at anything that's not like that as weird, as wrong, as how how could anybody think that, you know? Yeah, I'm. You know, that's true. I I don't know why um, it's led to so much of wanting to not uh, allow other opinions, though. I just. Why has this um, this uh, feeling of unhappiness that some people clearly thrive on? You know, most people, I, I, think, I think the majority of people you hear yeah. um, actually like being unhappy. And, 
but I don't know why this has led to uh, wanting to silence the opposite opinion, though. Kind of, yeah. you know, it's like if you're unhappy, you know, why don't you look for ways to hear, you know, hear different viewpoints? So maybe you can find one that you're happy with, or you know, it's. I just uh, I don't get why why the need to censor information out there that's clearly not aligned with one's own is so prevalent also. I mean, because clearly nothing's going to make some people happy and, you know, but you think it's because they're part not part of your online community, therefore I don't want to hear from you and um, that's why Alex Jones needs to go away? Well, I think even the censorship, if before I even talk about that on a widespread scale... We as people have been doing it for a long time now, you know, for yeah. many years in our online community, you know. Well, sure. Pr- probably most people, most Americans, do not actively follow or listen to internet voices or individuals in any community that doesn't echo already the same thoughts that they have. Right? We yeah. mostly don't. Most people, yeah. And if you get a Facebook and somebody, you know, you're going to follow somebody, you start looking at a page and they start saying things you vastly disagree with, usually you go, unfollow, I don't want to hear no more. Well, see, more I More times than not, that's what we do. Well, for the last decade, I've followed mostly everybody. You know, I followed people I really liked, and even if they didn't have different viewpoints. Or I'd follow somebody that sounded like a voice of opinions that were clearly not my own. Yeah. Just to be able to be informed of that. However, there's been an uptick of hatred in some in most of these voices. You know, a clear intolerance for for people that do not agree with them, and saying yeah. you know, making fun of people that do not agree with them. I'm like, boy, are you toxic? Right. You know, and, and calling people stupid because I vote. I didn't. I didn't want to vote for a guy with dementia. Right. You know, it's like clearly that alone should have, anyway. Um, like uh, Will Wheaton. Yeah. He is so angry inside. He clearly, he hates his mom and dad mm-hmm. because they weren't good parents. And he says they weren't good parents. That he had this terrible childhood and he has to deal with therapy. All this stuff. And, you know, but he like absolutely hates people, you know, people that voted for Trump. Yeah. Calls everyone Nazis. Um, he's just like, just all. Yeah. So I'm like, and then he said something where it's like, look, if you voted for Trump, I don't want to be your, or something. If you identify with him, I don't want to be your friend. I want to hear from you. I don't want to talk yeah. to you. Unfollow my page. And then just all this. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, well, I just unfollowed his page after a decade of following. Right. I'm like, dude. And it's like, he just has gotten so progressively angry over the last decade. And for the life of me, I can't see why. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, and, you know, he's just grown increasingly unhappy and thinks he's in a better mental state now, which is another yeah. wild thing. And it's like, the level of anger seems to have increased with this online presence and identifying with yeah. these different communities. But then people think that they're feeling better about themselves. 
Yeah, that's that's what's really interesting is that people think there's there's a benefit to it, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting because obviously, you know, you get somebody that's angry about something and then you put them in a venue where now talk about what you're angry about all the time mm-hmm. and have a bunch of other people that are also angry about it join you mm-hmm. and have your whole purpose or online platform to be to continue to find things you're angry about is only going to make you angrier. Obviously. Yeah. But, you know, Where when we were kids, you know, if somebody had a, an argument and they really hated something, you had like one uncle that just like, man, he always talks about this thing. And he never shuts up about it. And he was like a weird, like, it was annoying. Yeah. Like every barbecue, he just is always bringing up the government. Shut up. We don't want to talk about politics here. Yeah. You know, yeah. because the average person didn't do that. Well, we didn't get mad at him. I mean, he was just annoying. Right. You know, we didn't ostracize him and say, wait. But I mean, his anger had no platform. Yeah. It was mostly dismissed. Right. Where now that same person takes that anger online and they get a following. And almost always a greater following than if they were a reasonable, calm, and balanced individual. Right. Those people don't get platforms, you know. Nobody listens to that. That's not who you go and listen to. You know, whether we're talking about politically, whether we're talking about socially, whether we're talking, I mean, even economically, right? You know, it's funny. I think there's only, yeah, there's not a lot of, like, really, you know, balanced voices out there. Are you familiar with um, Stephen Anderson? The name sounds familiar. He is, um... A pastor down in Arizona okay. that got really big on making YouTube videos really about how much he hated and God hated all of these particular sins. And it really made him, you know, he was. Is his video still up, do you think? They took him down several times, but he has created something called, a lot of, some people don't know this, it's the new IFB. So this is where he's at. He thinks that independent fundamental Baptist churches have gone totally liberal. And there needs to be a new independent fundamental Baptist. Steve Anderson? Yes. And he's sucked in a lot of good people. But what he does is, is it preys on people's hatred. That's what it is. He openly talks about how God says you ought to hate gay people. You ought to hate transgender. You ought to hate all... You ought to hate people. You know? Goes in and, and he openly says, man... Gay people cannot be saved, and they ought to be murdered. Capital capital punishment should be the thing for for homosexuals. But be, why? Because they might have been in some societies at one point. Well, he twists some Old Testament scriptures about how that was the penalty under Old Testament Jewish law for their society, and therefore that's a lot of people just base that on Sodom and Gomorrah too. Right. And it's like, well, that wasn't really the main right. thing. Right? That was just a symptom. Of... Right. And theologically, it's not sound. But and that's not really... And it's not because they're <laughs> gay. It's because they act... Well, it's because of the lifestyle. Right. And it's... But it's really not about the theology. So he's entertaining, is what you're saying. <laughs> right. So people don't follow him because, oh, that theology makes sense. They follow him because the hatred he has invites it and he and he went from a pretty small group you know just a small church there in Arizona to he's got 
tens of thousands of followers across the United States. He's got, I don't know how many, but a bunch of other guys that would also consider themselves new independent fundamental Baptists um, that have been, he's been barred from countries, um, all these kinds of things. Yeah, because he'll go in and he'll just, basically the same as what the Westboro Baptist Church did. Almost identical to their ideas and their philosophies and what they did. Just on a bigger scale, and he did it via, instead of like picketing funerals, he does it online via YouTube videos, and he had other guys that do it as well. Oh. Um, I saw Westboro once. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they came to Gonzaga. Oh, really? Yeah, while I was there. And uh, our French teacher told us not to go to Brothers. We were having class, we are not canceling things, yeah. you come to class. Well, I was one of like three students out of 14 that actually showed up on time. The others were like almost an hour late. Yeah. They were like, well, we're going anyway. But they were picketing down the hill. I could see them like four blocks away or something. Yeah. And uh, it was, they were there to protest the gay groups, the gay clubs that were on campus. Yeah. And that, well, they're at a Catholic, you know, that seems really odd that they were pushing for something in a private school, pushing for these liberal clubs and saying you should allow us to be, you know, have these. Like, well, you're not at a public institution. They can right. kind of do what they, you know, but of course they didn't see, you know, nobody sees it that right. way. So, but it was really interesting. I'm like, why are they even bothering being here? But that's, re- I feel like that's a perfect example of what's happened systemically. So you had before, you know, internet was really the means. There was the Westboro Baptists. And they were primarily one family. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. And a couple other people. I mean, very small. And they went to all these. And they really didn't grow. It didn't get them a following. You come along. Now YouTube's a thing. And a guy like Stephen Anderson comes and echoes pretty much the exact same sentiments and preaches them. And he gets a massive following. Same exact thing, but a different venue. And it seems to, whatever that avenue in our culture is, seems to exacerbate whatever hatred we have and we want to latch onto it. Have you ever heard his testimony? Heard him talk about why he thought he was saved? Who? Steve Anderson. I mean, has yeah. he ever explained it? And did yeah. it sound legit? Honestly, on salvation, he's got a few other wonky things. But on salvation, I mean, I think I think he's got, honestly, a, a decent grasp of it. He makes a big deal about, um, I don't know if this is what we're talking about today, but a big deal on um, how repentance is not part of salvation. Really? Because he interprets repentance not as a change of mind or of heart, but a change of actions. And so when he hears, this is the way he understands it, um, from what I've heard of his, is that if you're saying, hey, somebody has to repent of their sins, it means they have to decide to not do those sins anymore. And that's a work, and that's work salvation. So it's a little wonky semantics thing, honestly. And again, because... I'm just going to say it this way. I don't mean it as an offense. I don't think his theology is straight on all these things, um, obviously. Um, but in terms of that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
But he's really big in, you know, if you believe on Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved, you know. Which is interesting. Yeah. Because the effect of that should not be, now let's go, you know, hate. see who we can hate. I know. It's funny. We'll call a guy like that, you know, yeah, he's saved because he's got this church. And, you know, and he's given a testimony. But um, a guy that's like a, a rock star or something that says he's a Christian, we don't believe his salvation story. It is interesting. Yeah, and uh, it just kind of, and I'm not sure why. I mean, there's there's guys I've tried to explain to people that uh, I know for you know I there's some guys that have said they were saved or talked about God, and you're like, okay, well maybe he's got a grasp of it, but you know we can't trust it because he's a rock star. But a guy like Steve Anderson, who's, you know, and these guys will have charity works and they do a lot of good deeds. And, yeah. you know, maybe this guy doesn't go out and, you know, uh, cheat on women. You know, he's like, right. lives a better life than somebody like Steve Anderson, who's seems to be full of hate. Right. But his story of being saved is more believable than the rock star guy. Yeah. I think that's why Jesus said, many will come unto me in that day. And we'll say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out devils and done these wonderful deeds? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you know? Yeah, see, that's sometimes that gets a little... I think we are going to be surprised about the people that are in heaven and surprised about the people that aren't there, you know? Did you hear about Robbie Zacharias? Who's that? This is way off the topic, but since you're on it, Rabbi Zacharias was a great apologist, um, one of the great, greatest of our of our generation. See, I always thought that would be cool to be an apologist, but I don't think they'd ever let me in that degree program. And he was super praised for his work and and spoke a lot of different things. I mean, he was a big deal in the Christian community, not particularly Baptist, you know, uh -huh. but in Christianity as a whole, he was huge, and seemed to be a wonderful example of. Of Jesus, and I mean, just all of these different things that he had done, and then he passed away, and people, I mean, you know how a good band passes away, and everybody praises him, and he goes up ten notches, you know, and so that's what happened, and everybody was all about him. Well, it just came out that for years he had been sexually abusing people and doing these different things, and he was running, he had like lists of um, uh, massage parlors that he visited. <laughs> Um, and Zacharias? Had, yeah, Ravi Zacharias. Um, and he had all these secret text messages, and he had this whole double life in which he had been using his power to sexually assault people and had, I mean, dozens and dozens of people. Oh, yeah. And that these reports had been coming out, you know, in recent times, and his whole team kind of did not really want to accept it at first. They've done a good job since then, honestly. Um, yeah. But again, it's just evidence of the fact that in our world today, all those that claim to be leaders for Jesus and these people that do all these wonderful works and seem to be Christian leaders, they're not all legit. Not all so, you know. But we'll, we'll um, trust their story about why they're saved more than we will somebody that's not in the same of work right 
which is why, and I could talk for three hours easily about just what I was preaching last night, um, which I believe is is really the indicating pattern of somebody that really has been rescued from their sin. Is it somebody that is literally amazed by who God is? There's a lot of Christians that talk about they want to argue theology and they want to write books and they want to do all these things and they want to have a big church and they want to have these ministries. You clear it all away and for some there's no there's really nothing to do with God in any of that. You take all the fluff away and you realize yeah it was about building this ministry or about making a name for themselves or about accomplishing this and there was no desire for God and then you take somebody that is a known sinner Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and they accept the Lord and they talk about it and they don't have anything to profit by it it's only going to hurt them even and they're not looking to build a church they're not looking to build a ministry and yet they still testify and still talk about them you talk about guys like you too I haven't looked that up but I know the same has happened to Justin Bieber really? yeah that's fascinating and he was very outspoken about Jesus Christ, and that's a whole story in which he was part of. Um, Boy, he was an awful kid, wasn't he? He was hooked up with that one guy that was part of that. What's that big church? Started in Australia, oh. and then there's campuses in New York, and they're huge. I don't know what that is. Then. I'm gonna look it up real quick. But he got hooked up with that guy, and there was again another deal where one of the leaders of that church that was supposed to be really influential in his life and his Christian walk ended up being somebody that was doing nefarious things in terms of the church's finances mm-hmm. had a whole affair going on all these different things that had to step down right okay so this guy says my understanding of the scriptures has been made simple by the person of Christ. Christ teaches that God is love. What does that mean? It means for me a study of the life of Christ. Love here describes itself as a child born in straw poverty, the most formal situation of all without honor. I don't let my religious world get too complicated. I just kind of go, well, I think I know I think I know what God is. God is love, and as much as I respond in allowing myself to be transformed by that love and acting in that love, that's my religion. Where things get complicated for me is when I try to live this love. Now that's not so easy. And the guy asked him, "What about the God of the Old Testament? Wasn't he or he wasn't so peace and love?" And he says, "There's nothing hippie about my picture of Christ. The Gospels paint a picture of a very demanding, sometimes divisive love, but love it is. I accept the Old Testament as more of an action movie, you know, blood, car chases, whatever. The children of God are running amok, wayward. Maybe that's why they're so relatable." But the way we would see it, those of us who are trying to figure out our Christian conundrum, is that the God of the Old Testament is like the journey from stern father to friend. When you're a child, you need clear directions and some strict rules. Hey there. And somebody called wanting to know if you got an email about a winter retreat in Montana. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> just checking if you got the email. Yeah. Christ, we have an access and a one-to-one relationship, whereas in the Old Testament it was more of a worship and awe, a vertical one. 
The New Testament, on the other hand, we look at Jesus, who looks familiar, horizontal combination is what makes the cross. And you say, uh, who is this? Does that sound, that sounds pretty legit, right? Yeah, who is this? Oh, okay. Yeah. He knows the Bible. This guy knows, yeah. has, let's see, um, let's see, he says, religion can be the enemy of God. It often happens when God, like Elvis, has left the building. A list of instructions where there was once conviction, dogma where once people just did it, congregation led by man where they were once led by the Holy Spirit. Dis yeah. Discipline replacing discipleship. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. He knows the Bible. This yeah. guy is... Let's see. Um, let's see. Where is there's another part? Uh, let's see. Um, he says, uh, "As I told you, I'm beginning to understand religion because I have started acting and thinking like a father." What do you make of that? He says, "I think that's normal. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people." But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Yeah. I was like, my goodness. Yeah, let's see. Uh, he said, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know what you put out comes back to you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, it's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you reap, so will you sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And the guy's like, I'd be interested in hearing that. He said, that's between me and God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I, he said, I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my final judge. I'd be in deep. It doesn't mm -hmm. excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Yeah. This he's clearly saved. Yeah. I'm like, this is amazing. And nobody will listen to me when I talk about it. They don't think that I wasn't familiar with that with him in particular. I know of many that in a similar boat. There is a really good sixty minutes interview he gives with somebody and the guy tries to get him on on religion. Yeah. And he just oh, he's He's an expert. He's like on it, and he made so much sense. I was like, holy cow. And I tried playing it for Kelly, and Kelly doesn't want to hear it because he's a rock star. Yeah. It's like that doesn't mean he's not saved or he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Um, and like I said, there's a there's a quality you can in read that. This. You want to read this? I probably won't read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll look up excerpts from it about that particularly. Okay. Well, there's <laughs> one chapter. It's called, and then you add... Eternity or something. Add eternity to that. Yeah, and it's just where they get into the religion. Yeah. And I mean, you don't have to read the whole book, but obviously, but yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's pretty cool because I feel like that's that's the quality of people that really have been redeemed. You're right. Is they have this desire, you know. And that's why he does all these good things on the side. I mean. And the difference between somebody like that and even somebody in my position, right? Yeah. Um, this is my job. So right. whether it's real or not for me, I mean, unless you're a real perceptive person, you know, you're not going to know. If I'm a good actor, you know what I mean? That's true. 
and it's something and honestly i hate that this is true but there's entire forums and online communities specifically for pastors that no longer even believe in god yeah i've heard of this but continue to step into a pulpit because it's their job and nobody even knows i've heard of this you know yeah and there's a different quality when you can tell he doesn't benefit it's not his job it's not he's not benefited by that he's not going to sell more albums because of it no he's not their legacy is established it, it, it doesn't there's nothing to gain from it there's it's some real people that hate him because he's preachy and it's, yeah and you know he has all these messages or he's part of that we are the world thing right. you know it's like and then you get the people like kanye west mm-hmm. who did it but also obviously has you know struggles with mental illness um, and that's, I think that's documented enough that that's not, uh, you know, insulting to say no. or slanderous, but, uh, so some people look at that and go, well, is that legitimate? Was his conversion legitimate or a symptom of his mental illness? And I don't know that we're going to know that. Well, have you heard, have you heard anything off of that album, that Christian album he put out? Uh-huh, I did. What did you think of that? It's, again, it's difficult. Because there's kernels within that that I go, that was kind of good. Yeah. And then there's a lot where I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's... But he's obviously from a, a mind that's a little disturbed. Right. The place that he was in, even when he wrote that, we can tell is not, you well, know... who in their right mind marries a Kardashian? I will say this. All things considered, for the Kardashians and... And again, another thing I don't know is how much of that personality was a branding and a character for financial purposes and how much was real. I'll never know that. But throughout Kanye's difficulties, his mental struggles, his his dealings with faith, she has been pretty awesome. Yeah, up until the last couple of months. And even then, I can I can understand where she's at. Oh, sure. You know. But she's done about as good as I could have expected anybody to do, let alone somebody from Hollywood within that, you know, craziness. Yeah. There's no sense of faithfulness. She has been, I mean, pretty faithful to him. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting. And it's obviously not because she needs his money. No. No, he's, and he's clearly worth a lot of money, though. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, but uh, she's worth probably just as much, or maybe... I don't know what she's, she's worth, worth but I'm not entirely sure what the Kardashians are worth money for, to be honest. But yeah, I know. I don't know. But she came out with a she came out with an app that was basically her version of Candy Crush or something, and I think she made like eighty million dollars a day. That's it came crazy. Out. That's yeah, crazy. yeah, and it was a, like a total junk game, and I don't know if it's even around anymore. But it's like boom, you know. Yeah. She got enough money in her pocket to buy a. Controlling interest in a soccer team. Yeah. And it's like, wow. And all she had to do was kind of give some idea of what she wanted. I mean, she, you know she didn't build it. You know she didn't have any technical input into it. She just told, told them what she wanted to see. Yeah. You know, and so that's part of, I guess there was a lot of people, you know, there is like a trend, like at the time, right? There was famous people coming out with apps and she's like, okay, well, I'll just rip off Candy Crush or something. Right. And, you know, makes a bunch of money. 
So I don't know. She's famous for being famous, kind of, you know, kinda. taking Paris Hilton shtick. Yeah. I mean, she was like the first one to do that. Uh, I think the Kardashians did it better, but. <laughs> no, they did it better, but I think Paris Hilton did it first. Yeah. And she would, she got paid to show up to parties. Yeah. She'd make six figures just walking into a party. Yeah. Uh, holy cow. But of course, she had ties to an actual business, though, too. Yeah, her dad, you know, heir to the Hilton fortune. Right. Yeah. Which the Kardashians one, where I'm like, your your dad was, you know, a great Olympian. Well, he, he was only. <laughs> I he, guess that's it. I don't know what a, else is there. He was their stepdad. There was only two of them right. that were his kids. I don't know how that all works, but. Yeah, like Kylie Jenner and. Excuse you know, me. It's her kids. Yeah, her kids. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Her and her kids. Her and her kids. The Kardashians. Right. Yeah. Because they got two moms. They got two, two biological moms. Okay. Are we using the their correct pronouns? I don't know. No. <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> I like how you just got way lost as soon as I just did what... <laughs> people are expecting to be. Well, you remember Kevin uh, Kevin Hart had a, I think it was Kevin Hart, he had a joke about, uh, you know, look what, he, about wonder, worrying about what was going to happen to Kanye West, because look at what happened to um, Bruce, he said Bruce Jenner, you know, became a woman, man, he married into that family. He's like, oh, yeah. and then he said something about, I'm looking at you, Kanye. <laughs> well, I heard, what's his name, uh, Kevin James ripped that joke off. Like and I, I mean, he had came out with his Netflix oh, really? special. Yeah, he like he used to joke on like, I've heard that joke before. He wasn't the first one to do it. You can't rip off a Kevin Hart joke. No, I th I th I think he did. I think it was Kevin Hart, and I was like, dude, no. If you're gonna rip jokes off of somebody, you gotta do it from somebody less famous than you, not more. I know, right? Well, he kind of was a big deal for a while, and then just not. Did people just all of a sudden get tired of Kevin James? I did. Yeah? <laughs> was it the Paul Blart movies that you think that pushed him over the edge? This is way, we're veering so far from topic, but I feel like comedy especially is generational. And why, why can't we get, why can't we just enjoy comedy? Why can't we be happy with comedy anymore? Comedy's dead. We can't have comedy anymore. Comedy's oppressive. But we allow Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle because they don't, they... Uh, we've, we've, we've grandfathered some people in that are powerful enough to have immunity. Well, you don't think it's because they're like, no, I'm not accepting that, and I'm not having that reality of cancel culture in my it's style. because there's nothing, there's no means to cancel them. Cancel culture, in my opinion, has nothing to do with the morality of any particular situation. Of course not. It's capitalism. Capitalism. Disney canceled. What's her face? Yeah, Gina. G Gina Carano. Whatever her name is. Yeah, I don't know. Not because they could care less about what she said or didn't say, what she retweeted. They, they could, that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with financially. There were more people upset about her being there than the people that wanted her there. So thus it would hit them in their pocketbook. That's all it that's all it is. It's just capitalism at work. You know what's funny is 
and then that Pedro Pascal said almost the exact same thing, but he did it from a liberal viewpoint right. compared to the other side. So why does he get a free pass? Because it's not about fairness. It's capitalism. Capitalism's never been about what's fair. It's about what makes money. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. There's been rumors about that guy quitting since the middle of filming of the second season anyway. Yeah. Like several times since then. Right. There was a time in Hollywood history where people that were Jewish universally would change their names and pretend they weren't Jewish to be but, in Hollywood. But they were the ones controlling Hollywood. Jews. But for financial purposes, they had yeah. to pretend they weren't Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And what was that? The reason for that was because what they believed was marketable. Today, what's marketable is progressive ideologies. That's the marketable agenda. And being upset and stuff. Right. And if you can call out something first, <coughs> all the better. And so, and again, that's a, it's a great segue, right, into the Facebook and the Twitters. And I mean, all of that, Technology. why are they going to, you know, these are businesses. Mm-hmm. The reason why they block and censor and do this, people go, well, it's because of the cabal and the, you know, deep state and the Illuminati and the Freemason, whatever, right? That's why. And he's really drinking baby blood at the side, you know, I mean, all these things. <laughs> Him and Hillary Clinton are, you know, having a baby blood party, whatever, right? Uh, I want to put it past Hillary Clinton. <laughs> no, but I believe it's just so much simpler than that. There's from their platform they're going to make more money by appeasing a particular fan base and so they're going to do it what's going to make money so you think facebook is blocking an entire country to make more money because of their arguing with the government i think ultimately yes How does one as powerful as Facebook think they can still get away with censoring an entire country from being on their platform? And again, this is where we get into that tricky water of what is Facebook? Is it a private company? I mean, it's a should public it company. A pump? But should it be a, a public-private company? You know, what is it? You know, right? Is it any different than a newspaper? Or, you know, a news website. Well, they've got some sort of special immunity, too. Uh, some deal worked out to where they're not held as liable as these other things. Or that they're not right. held to the same standards. Well, we don't have standards for our news agencies. No, but some, yeah, they still the used to early have... early 80s, I think it was Fox News, actually, um, took it to the Supreme Court about just blatantly lying and making up stories. And the Supreme Court, you know, upheld the notion that free speech allowed them to say whatever they want to do, even if there was zero degree of truthfulness. The only caveat is specific slander against an individual. That can be a matter of a lawsuit. But if ABC News wants to say, 
all of Montana burned down yesterday. <laughs> they could they could do it. There's nothing legal that says they can't. But they can. But they're being allowed to tell other people they can't say things. Who is? Um, places like ABC or Facebook. They're, they're, they're being allowed to say, you can't say that, but we can say this. Right. And um, how is... I, I'm not sure how... Um, do you think that just comes down to capitalism and technology? I don't think the people that are making these decisions are people with strongly held progressive values and they really believe that they have to right the moral wrongs of the world. Because let's get real, most of the people in charge of these companies that are doing these things are old white dudes anyway. Mm -hmm. People that were probably for segregation back in the 60s when they were still in charge of big companies, you know. Oh, Zuckerberg's, well, that's clearly a... That's a He's a different breed because he was a, you know, a child when he... It's you know clearly I mean. a Jewish name too, right? Zuckerberg? Yeah. That's a popular name. That is considering... Why? I don't know, it just is. He just doesn't seem to have any, well, values whatsoever. Well, again, that's a whole... That's a whole individual that I think it would be impossible for us to even wrap our minds around. I mean... Oh, I will. He became one of the most powerful and rich individuals as a child. Right? You know, he was a kid. He didn't know he anything. dropped out of college. You know? Harvard. Yeah. Well, he knew enough to recognize a good thing when he saw it, apparently. Right. And then completely rip it off. Right. And ends up having to make these guys billionaires because they think they had a good idea. I still don't know why he had to pay them. It just doesn't, they didn't have anything copyrighted. They didn't have, you know, exclusive rights to anything. He just copied their concept. Right. You know, kind of like Apple copying Hewlett Packard and then Microsoft copying Apple. Yeah. You know, it's like, and they didn't have to pay each other for that. So why did Facebook have to pay these guys? That's a, you know, I don't, I don't know all of that, you know. And so, the concept, so capitalism's going to be behind all of this. There's not, there's not a morality to blocking people and censoring people on these sites. It's just what they, makes the money. From the people complaining about them, I believe so. Okay. From the average citizen that's making each one of these issues a big deal, you know, and and this is what's happening. You get somebody gets angry about something, and normally they would have no avenue to speak about it. They can go on the internet and rage about it, and complain about it, and try to write articles about it, and develop a following about why, whatever, why Aunt Jemima is racist, right? It's just really wild. And they can make a whole. They can make a whole thing. A couple people that normally nobody would listen to. I mean, imagine 20 years ago, somebody coming into a, a dinner and saying, hey, I just want to talk about how Aunt Jemima was racist. They're like, what, what are you talking about? Right. Nobody would listen. But you get enough people and enough people echoing it to where it sounds like this is a legitimate idea. Right, and it totally erased this woman's legacy on how she broke barriers to become Aunt Jemima. Right. And she was, like, made 
she was like a black success story and right. made he became a millionaire like very early on. But her depiction is one of a house slave, which is they think it is because she's dressed in like basically work clothes, you know, housewife work right. clothes. That's how she would have looked in the day in which yeah. like it. And they took that and warped it into something that could fuel their their protest, their rage. But the people who make Aunt Jemima syrup, I don't even know what company that is. or But I know they did not change it because they now, oh, well, oh, you're right. Now that we've mentioned it, we truly see that this is, it has nothing to do with that. Well, and then really, They're not talking about ethics in those board meetings, is what I'm saying. No, no not at all. Not, um, not seriously, anyway. We're talking about cost-benefit. Well, then they changed it. it to some really stupid name, too, and I can't remember what that was. I don't even know. But, uh... Oh, I forget. Yeah, they, um, let's see. So we talk about censorship. This is where it's interesting to me. The censorship is from people. It's not from the government. And it's not even from these corporations, really. You know, people want to complain about Facebook, but it really isn't, in my opinion, Facebook. It really isn't Twitter. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's people that want those things. Pearl Milling Company is what they're going to call it now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Sure. And she's just gone now, right? She's out. Yeah. Jemima's gone forever. Everything's going to be called the Pearl Milling Company. Sounds like a gravel mining company. Very, or James Bond villain. <laughs> yeah. From the New York. Oh, that's, you know, that's true. It's like, why would they do that? But see, that goes along with the concept, like, what, no, uh, or publicity? There's no such thing as bad publicity? Yeah, but you're right. They probably made money. Because, well, it's an opportunity to rebrand, and then rebranding, you know, puts your product out there and anew and fresh, yeah. and so clearly that somebody's going to buy this because they changed the name. Somebody's going to buy it because they changed the name, and then there's going to be a bunch of people that bought it before, that bought out all those stocks. People are going to want to have the Aunt Jemima bottle. Yep, you in know the box, I mean? and save it right. up. There's going to be collectibles later. Somebody's going to... And have on eBay thirty years from now a yep. bottle of Angelina syrup. So obviously it's it's in their best interest, right? So what we're really talking about is that there is a set of the population who believes that ideas, values, and certain speech should be censored. It's but not, not somebody morality. in control of us, is what I'm saying. People think because of morality, but it's the you and I's. It's the neighbors down the street. I mean, th these are the people that are causing this. Okay, so technology is... Our, so this morality is not driven for morality's sake. It's driven for a cost-benefit cost analysis. I believe from the, the why it's being implemented is for cost-benefit. The people that are crying about it, I believe, is this inherent need we have as humans to right the perceived wrongs of the world. We just have that that need. 
When we see something wrong, we have to call it out. It bothers us, you know. With the ones that are vocal about it, is it um, is it a need to fix this, or are they more concerned about being heard? I don't think it. I think both the would self validation. Both would be what they say, but I think. You know, from how the Bible describes what we are as people, I think ultimately the need we have is to justify ourselves. That's the need we have. And by calling out these things, it's an idea of look at the wrong I see that's hurting people, but really it's filling a need in myself to feel good, to feel good about the world, to feel good about my morality and who I am, you know? I really believe that it's more about that than it is even about fixing these wrongs. Because you can see, I mean, we talk about, man, you shouldn't say Aunt Jemima, right? We got to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in Sudan, there's an actual, you know, uh, genocide taking place right now. Nobody or, really cares about that. That's not popular, right? Or is it, or um, the Kurds? Yeah. Um, they're, um, whatever country they've been in, yeah. they've been systematically just wiped. Right. Being forced into their own little... I think, uh, I, didn't we make Iraq, like, give, like, a little beachhead to yeah. the... Some, basically, it's just some ridiculous concept of a country for them, or a safe space. It, more, it's more like a concentration camp for Kurds than anything. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And nobody talks about that. Nobody cares about those kinds of things. Nobody's calling out that, you know. Mm -hmm. This is really in terms of what we see in our view that we want to fix, that we want to, that makes us feel like we have the more progressive, the more moral, the greater, the greater height. We're more advanced. Whatever. We're going to fix the world. Oh, I wanted to show you that speech again. It's to go along with the validation, and, and yeah, that's why yeah. the only thing I, the only thing I uh, <laughs> would bring up Oprah for. <laughs> I don't know. I guess say that out loud. I guess I. No, it's okay. Come on, come on. So, for those of you wondering why I would uh, click on William Heineke and not Justin Heineke, it's like William's my first name. My dad goes by Bill, so. There you go. Yeah, my parents uh, made sure that everyone knew me as Justin, and I couldn't get people to change their mind. They were so dead set against calling me the third because they didn't think I'd like that. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? And uh, I told Justin he would have been the fourth. Yeah. And uh, it just would have been. You know, and then you would add something in common with Shoot out. You're William the Third, technically. Well, no. You're not the third. My dad's middle name is James. He's a junior. He's William James Heineke. Junior. And you're William Justin Heineke. Yeah. Just. Yep. And your son is Justin junior. something. William Justin Jr. Oh, he is William as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, huh? Oh. And he also goes by Justin. Yes. 
which was not my idea. I feel like it would be a that was easy place to make a distinction there. I know, but that wasn't that was my wife's idea. Call him Justin. They call him Little Justin, even though he's taller than me. <laughs> Here's her speech. I talked to nearly 30,000 people on the show, and all 30,000 had one thing in common. They all wanted validation. If I could reach through this television, sit on your sofa, or sit on a stool in your kitchen right now, I would tell you that every single person you'll ever meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. That's her, that was her big takeaway from doing the Oprah Winfrey show for all those years. Yeah. And uh, that's how I opened up my final paper in that class. Right, yeah. Was using her speech. The only thing I think she ever said that I actually agreed with. <laughs> well, I mean, she probably said a lot of things that would be agreeable, you know. But, <laughs> but I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth to that, you know. But why, is, why does that drive the need to want to silence other ideas or other people because it validates your own voice if their voice doesn't matter makes your own voice more important because if their if their viewpoint is equally valid or is valid that makes your viewpoint less valid I almost disagree but I don't know that other people see it that way that's what I mean because because logically, if I silence every alternative idea to where only the same ideas are shared... That makes your opinion more valid. Makes my opinion pointless. Pointless? Because it's the same opinion shared by everybody. Well, that's not what they... That's not what's... I just mean the logical end of this. Well, if we had a society conform to the strongest sentiments of those that want to cancel and silence anybody with alternative ideas would mean that we have a society where everybody says the same thing and has the same notions and the same concepts and the same values. Uh, Which would make hearing from anyone individually pointless. Right, but we are not quite there yet. We're at a point where the people that are the vocal ones are looking I think they're they are looking for validation and they're looking making sure that their voice is heard because it makes them feel validated that their viewpoints are the only ones that matter because that's validation for them and if somebody else's viewpoint also was valid that means their viewpoints less valid and they get less validation in their heads and I think that is why I think that is why we have so much some people feel the need so much to cancel other voices in the conversation. Right. Um, and uh, and I think I think that has been uh, gotten worse under the lens of social media and technology. I think the technology we have exacerbated it, it gave avenues for these people, and I think it sped this process up significantly. Well, yeah. Um, Well, they, they, you know, the single greatest invention of all time, the thing that um, got this person 
person of the millennium in a couple of um, in a couple of those kind of lists. They've actually made person of the millennium. All right. <laughs> Printing press. Yeah. Johann Gutenberg. Yeah. Person of the millennium because he had a printing press. Yeah. Wasn't technically the first one. I apparently some Chinese people made printing presses. Oh, stop dumping on poor Johannes. But it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't the same right. kind of printing press. It wasn't uh, quite. Oh, I forget, I forget the significance. Right. But anyway, he invented this, and um, I think it was a need to. It wasn't just a need to make money, although that was a huge part of it because he was a complete failure as a businessman. Yeah. Um, but it was to feel connected. I mean, uh, a lot of people, well, that's what people used it for. Um, uh, and not just a connecting with other people, but like a connection with God. Because, right. because there was a... You know, up until the point that the printing press started making everything more readily available, including information, uh, you know, where were Bibles made? They were made in monasteries. Yeah. They were handwritten by monks. Right, yeah. Which made them super expensive and desirable. Um, right. So only a few people had them. And those voices were obviously clearly controlled by the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Now... When you take that and put it into the printing press, that makes it more readily available to the common man, right. which is a big problem for the church, yeah. huge problem, because that way they can't even control the narrative anymore. Right. And so from that point on, things started becoming unwound for them. Yeah. And uh, But at the same time, this printing press, the popularity of it wasn't just driven by capitalism. Uh, although that was certainly, you could see his actions. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm not trying to invalidate what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just oh, that's saying, fine. Um, technology, the idea of technology uh, was driven by, well, it, it was driven by validation. Um, I mean, sure. because uh, in order to feel, connect, you know, feeling connected and feeling a part of something big is a way to feel about self, um, a way to make your life have meaning, right? Right. Yes. So um, people look for those connections. They look for those connections with a higher power, a higher purpose. They look for it with each other. And that's what drove, uh, that's why the printing press became so popular and was such a game changer. Because now you're getting information from over here, the information that was rare, the Bible, information that helped you feel connected to God was more readily available. So there, you're feeling a connection more with God, and that made people, that drove, drove people to want this technology. You're getting newspapers, you're getting flyers from somewhere, um, and that, uh, you know, the first newspapers were in the early 1600s, and, you know, they have examples of this. I saw them. Right. I couldn't read them, clearly, but because I don't know German. But um, um, those, you know, those help people feel like part of a bigger thing, part of a sure. community. And uh, and then they're there. Well, what else can we do? I know we'll do. You know, we'll do flyers. Yeah. You know, because those are even more readily available. So we, they did that, and then along, 
you know, and so uh, events from all over uh, were more, that in, information was able to be passed on. I mean, you might have gotten it slowly, but, uh, and as time went on and the technology got better, which, you know, I just think that the technology, uh, communication technology is driven by, you know, like, like the Tower of Babel, right? Yeah. They all felt connected together. They all felt like they were getting closer to God and self-validation. Right. And God's like, nope, <laughs> you guys got to do this on your own. You got to, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not listening to me. You're, you're supposed to s spread out whatever it is, you know, how was it put, Tower of Babel? In which part, what do you mean? Uh, when he destroyed it, when he, like, confused their tongue. Yeah, he confounded their languages and to spread them out. Yeah. But what he said was, I don't know if this is relevant to our conversation, but he said, if they are all united, if they're all together, he says, nothing shall be withholden from them. Which is really an interesting thought. Yeah, what do you mean by that? What I don't do know. Think? Obviously, it seems unreasonable to think that the tower itself was of such a technological capabilities that it was accomplishing anything, right? Right. Where God's worried, oh, they can't keep building this tower. Who cares, right? Right. But he said this, which, I mean, you could develop a whole theory. I've heard theories about how there was actually ancient technology that was much more advanced than we think there was prior to the flood. Um, I've heard a lot of those kinds of things and that God was actually talking about how um, mankind would have reached a place of dangerous levels of advancement that was not good for them if he hadn't stopped them. Imagine just scientifically what we could have accomplished if there was no nation of any war, no countries. We were all united as a world for a singular goal. Obviously, technology would be f much more advanced. We would be much beyond where we are. Right. And so, there is an argument to be made that maybe God was trying to keep them from being able to reach things that he never intended for man to have access to. Well, that was a, that was a need for... Uh, I think they were, as a society, trying to find validation outside of God. Right. So this whole thing, um, technology is, and the communication technology is driven by, like the innate desire for man to validate their existence. And I think that's true. And I didn't want to um, hyper spiritualize it right from the get go. But uh, I mean, I agree completely. I think the whole idea of censorship and the moral signaling and you know all of the you know social justice warrior all of that stuff i really believe is about filling a void in hearts that is only growing yeah um people are looking to whatever fill up the void of making themselves feel righteous or fill up the void of giving meaning or value to their existence in their life people are trying to uh, often more often people that are in this are those that don't have a belief in God that have a belief in usually self mm -hmm. they would probably be humanists 
That's what they worship. And they're trying to elevate mankind, you know. It's all to have this this void that really the, the contentment that would erase this is something that God gives, you know. And it happens all over. The reason why I, I can go listen to somebody that has totally different values than me uh, and, and be okay with that is because that doesn't change the contentment level of my life. It yeah. doesn't change anything I think about the world. No, because you're not looking validation for validation in what you find, self-validation. Right. You're just looking to expand your knowledge. Your, yeah, your awareness of what's going on. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, from, uh, you and I would, um, since we're not looking for, we're not looking for validation in what we find online, we were looking for awareness of what's going on, um, which is completely different than some of these people are getting on there and getting on Twitter and they're on there all day long uh, attacking Trump or they're on right. there all day long arguing with somebody who retweeted Ben Shapiro, you right. know, and trying to get hashtags going that that make no sense at all. Right. And because that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, they, their, their whole existence is basically getting that dopamine hit from people agreeing yeah. with them. Yeah. And, uh, which is really wild. I mean, that's probably more, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's why you can make a point that maybe that's why the government should get involved in regulating this thing. Cause that, because trying why to would find, government be any different? No, I know. But trying to get that dopamine hit uh, from, from getting, you know, from everyone agreeing with you, that just, that's really dangerous, getting addicted to that, because that can, you know, that can rewire your brain yeah. just as much as being strung out on something. And that's why I think the solution to this is the same solution in all of the systemic problems we have in our society. And the answer is bringing hope and peace and life to the guy next door. Right. It's not the guy, it's not Zuckerberg's fault. It's no. not. Zuckerberg's a symptom. It's not that. Biden's fault. You know what I mean? It's our fault as people because that's the thing we want. That's what people have wanted. And they've wanted it because predominantly there's a hole in their heart. There's a, hole, a lack in their life. It's the third line in this song, looking forward to fill that God-shaped hole. It's exactly true. It's exactly true. This was the the thing where basically they're making him the tour, the album that was just saying, you know, what a mess this commercial world we're living in, this yeah. commercial society, you know, pop. And uh, it's the whole album's like basically a concept of that. Right. And uh, so I just thought I'd bring that up because it was kind of relevant to what we were talking about in a way. Yeah. And so that's where I believe our job as, as believers is not to get in the same venue and cry a louder voice for the opposite opinion. You know, as loud as people cry for censorship, we're going to cry for non-censorship. Because what happened? Whatever that, what was that one app that came out? Parlor? Parlor. And then all of a sudden, it's gone for a month. it became known for um, like white supremacist groups on but there. that wasn't true. 
whether it was true or not. I don't no, know. No, I know. It doesn't really matter, does it? But I don't know. I never even got on the thing. I couldn't tell you definitively. I did. But I know that... <laughs> I could bring it up right now. To yell for that and say, here's a better thing, is, is really besides the point as a believer. That isn't the point. Okay. The point is, why are you so broken and so empty that you need me to agree with you to be okay? That's the issue. Yeah. And how do I help you with that? And I honestly, I don't help you with that by arguing in the open Facebook. I've done this a few times. Um, I'll see something from somebody, and for some reason, God will just put it in my mind. That, man, that is really a statement from a, from a place of hurt. And it's got this whole argument, and people are going back and forth. You got all these comments, and I'll message that person directly, and just try to be as gracious and as soft as I can be, and just say, "Hey, I saw what you said, and I didn't want to make an argument out here. It's not my purpose, but I just want you to know that it feels like, man, that's from a place that's hurting." Uh, and I might say some derivative of that, and just try to have a dialogue with them and find out if they'll listen to the gospel, because that's what I care about. Um, and I don't see any value to get jumping in on the comments and going, yeah, that's so stupid. Because all I do is I steep it and push it and fuel it. Well, what if you got on there and disagreed with them and let them... So you don't think it is, it's our place at all to get on there and voice a different opinion? I don't say, I'm not going to say it's not our place. I'm going to say that it's pointless to solving the actual problem. So what if we didn't get on there and voice a different opinion? What if we just approached it the way you're talking about? Or, well, let, let's be realistic. Either people are going to get on there and voice their opinion or they're going to do nothing. And it's going to be a small percentage that want to do it the way you, you're talking about. Right? My... I disagree. Do you think there's a lot of people on Facebook that instead of starting arguments will message people individually? What I'm saying is that that's a if we want some. No, an if answer, that's what we want, yes. No, no, that's no, that's I'm not debating that. I'm saying currently the reason why they're not is because they don't want to. Yes. Okay. So that's not going to change. And so if they stop posting other things on Facebook, I agree that that same individual probably is not going to going to do the opposite. It's not going to be an either or. Right. They're going to be like, well, I don't want either then. Right. So, but then does the problem of this other voice that's, let's be honest, is getting unrealistic or uh, it's, uh, how do I put that? Right. And it's, it's getting out of control. If we think, here's my thing, and this is oh, where. Oh, we can't fix it arguing but what happens when we don't do anything at all except we, or we don't do it publicly what, what do you mean we first no of all? or who, not me I, who I, are the we i don't know why i keep saying we um no but i, but I no, it's important because when you say we you're talking about people that know what ought to happen and love the lord right is that the we you're talking about Yeah. Okay. Who's the group of people you're saying? I mean, people that don't, people that don't agree with the lover's voice. 
okay, what happens if these people are, what, what happens when it's not fought or opposed online? What happens? By whom? Well, what happens if this loud voice just keeps getting louder because there is no opposition? Here's what I'm saying. No, I just I know I wanted to, I I know what you're saying and I you're right it's not going to fix anything getting on there and arguing with somebody and because that's not the real purpose. Well, no, 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 no. and I and I understand what you're saying. You're saying if we don't if somebody doesn't right the people oppose it it grows and it controls. Yeah. So. But I'm saying this: the issue is evil in hearts. Yeah. The issue is discontentment and hate and emptiness here and if I'm never doing anything to address that it doesn't matter if I beat it down in this avenue it'll come out into another oh sure it's gonna come out it's not gonna be controlled evil's never controlled that's for sure it isn't it finds a way yeah it finds a way if it's small it'll find a way against society by rape and murder and all these kinds of child molestation all these horrible things that are considered wrong still happen right when it becomes widespread it becomes a systemic societal reality but I never stop it by trying to give some alternative or fight against it this just doesn't work that way and why I was asking who is the we is because the people that are against it I don't necessarily say have a better solution universally. No, no. but having another uh, voice uh, that opposes it helps things not get out of hand as quickly, maybe? So I'd say it this way. Maybe this is a weird perspective. But for somebody that's not a believer either way, I'm glad that there is an opposition and somebody's going to call it out and say, hey, this is dumb. Right. Right? That same action, though, by a believer, I bite my tongue a little bit and I go, that could be good if it's also backed up with a life that seeks to do more so what actually will help. But oftentimes you see it and you know it's usually somebody that you can tell they do it four, five, six, seven times a day. And you can see, okay, I know what you're spending your time on. Right. And to me, I go, that's, it's getting sucked into the system. And oftentimes, even from people that claim to be believers, you can see that the heart of what they're saying is a very similar attitude of blatant and universal discontentment for their own lives. For the way the world is. So they're also seeking validation. Right. So capitalism, driving technology, driving new technology, benefiting capitalism is just all another means of feeling validation outside of God. I think for the people using these these places, I think there's two entirely different worlds taking place in our country. There's the world the average populace lives in, in which they're using these services. And they're looking for those services, yet yeah, to validate their opinions, to give them that sense of purpose, of connection, of, I mean, all those things. And I think there's an entire different corporate world in which the people that are, need to make money 
are just finding out whatever's marketable. And probably in the process, because this is a wave, they are also starting to adopt these ideas. Certainly, that's going to take place. But I don't think that's really the factor of what's taking place behind closed doors. Well, these, I, think, I think if it was just a need to make money, if there was nothing dri driving the why but to have money, uh, I don't know if it would go this far, right? It's like, I think, uh, you know, because that's just basically a means to an end if you're just doing it for money. But if you're doing it, maybe the amount of money is making you feel better about yourself, right? And, I mean, even the people driving these companies, like the CEO is going to feel a better worth of himself if this company's the one driving it. Like Zuckerberg, we can keep mentioning. Right. Because he's not doing it for the money anymore. I think he's, I mean, he, he's got to, and he feels, you can tell he feels personally attacked when somebody says something bad about Facebook. Yeah. I mean, he takes, he, I mean, he, he looks so alien. People think he looks like, yeah. I mean, there is something he, his, he just doesn't look like a normal person anymore, and which is really odd to me. And I don't, I mean, he's got to be an incredible amount of stress. And he used to wear, he used to wear like relaxed clothing. Remember, he would always wear yeah. like jeans and the same hoodie like all the time. Yeah. I found that hoodie online, and it was a simple hoodie, and it was cheap, and in I can't find it anymore. I f don't have the record of where I bought it, and it was like the most comfortable, nicest. It was like a $35 hoodie. Oh, wow, yeah. And it was amazing, and I found where to buy them, and I can't remember the store anymore. <laughs> and I had, there was some website, British website, where they took pictures of people, and you could just hover the mouse over the person, and it would tell you where that clothing was made and how much it cost. Yeah. And I did that, and I was like, holy cow. So I clicked on it, and I ordered myself a Zuckerberg hoodie. And it was incredible. It was so nice. Well, there you go. And then I ordered one for my dad, because he was looking for one, and he went and bought, like, two more for himself. <laughs> bought one in black, <laughs> I mean, instead of gray. Yeah. You know, so he used to be, oh, he used to be more normal. Yeah, well. I know, but you know, like you said, the incredible amount of stress. But I think even he at this point is looking for more of a validation of him and his baby, so to speak, yeah. his pet project. So, yeah, and it's we can see that from a lot of these super wealthy people that there is obviously a sense of um, purpose, meaning that they get in their lives from what they're doing. You know, well, look at Bezos. Bezos, Bill Gates is still, you know, he's doing that, and he's trying to get his hands in everything. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. He he's got he's he's what would they call that when you're playing both ends of it? Yeah. You know, he's got his hand in the vaccine and the and the disease er, and the and the flu research. Yeah. Which is really wild. Somebody pointed out that he was, oh, and that Fauci. He, he had some investment in the one of those Wuhan labs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. And I'm like, and then he's doing this. Uh, you know, he's another one. 
80-year-old doctor that hasn't seen patients in decades. Right. And he's always, you know, he just comes out and contradicts himself on the news all the time. Nobody counts him out, but he's also doing it for self-validation, I would imagine. Of course, and I don't even necessarily think it's, it's nefarious in nature. I think even like a guy, and I don't know. Well, it's only human, right? Right. I think even like a guy like, you get a, a Bill Gates, he... His whole career, he was very big into philanthropy and donating money. He always was. And over time, obviously, you know, that's something that makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're doing something. And he was a very generous man. And, you know, over time, that's going to give you this importance that, man, I have this great responsibility because of the intellect that I have or the values that I have or the money that I have. And thus, it's my responsibility. It's my purpose in the world to fix this. And it's a self-inflating ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oddly enough, Bill and Melinda Gates and Bono were all named Times Person of the Year on this same cover. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have it somewhere. Actually, yeah. I kept it because you know, you do fan. But I see that over the course of even just people you see, like Bill Gates has done it. Russell Wilson's one that I've seen that. He started off and he's like visiting sick kids in the hospital and you could tell, I mean, it's just heartfelt in it. And all of a sudden it became a little more PRE and now he's doing a little bit more different stuff and all the you now see this when we're on the Seahawks. And you just see this um, this transition in <laughs> this transition in just people that start out with a heart that just wants to be helpful, but it becomes part of their identity and where they get their their validation from. And so thus it becomes a need that's more about them than about what they're doing, you know. Do you think, um, do you think, uh, how, how do you think that switch happens? Going from wanting to help other people then realizing, you know, and realizing, well, well, I need to be validated while I'm doing this. I think it's. I think it happens in every person's life, no matter what they're doing, where they're at, in which they have a moment where they have to reconcile their reality with existence, mortality, consciousness, you know, and they have to fit it in, you know. They have to put these worlds together where they have to say, why do I exist, you know. And everybody kind of, you know, you don't think about that when you're 20 as much. As much, yeah. You can move on. But there comes a certain point in everybody's life where they have to reconcile this. That's why you see actors, man. They get to a certain age, and all of a sudden, now they're super political, or they're super spiritual, or they're, I mean, they, their voice gets to, all of a sudden, they were just the, you were somebody you told jokes for a living. And now why are you all the way over here? You're obsessed in this realm because people got to, they got to reconcile the worlds. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the meaning of life? You know? Yeah. It's going to happen to everybody. No, I know. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it all comes... Yeah. It's... it's So... But I would say even on this on this conversation, I think... We didn't even talk about this, but I think this is an important question. Is... Is any censorship good? You know, we only talked about it from the people that are going hyper aware of 
every phrase that could have possibly meant something against you know whatever and trying to cancel culture all that but is there is there value in any censorship would we want for example organized terrorist groups at work freely speaking on social media platforms and being able to collaborate together I would say, I mean, most people would say, no, we probably shouldn't have that. Right. Even those that say free speech, don't block anything, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably would still have a line somewhere. Yeah, that's true. But then, yeah, but then they're expanding that to include people that are just angry. For example, um, what I would not want at the school or in any kind of groups my kids are a part of as part of kids media whatever kids get a hold of I would not want somebody adamantly talking to them freely about what is transgenderism and how you can know that you're supposed to be a different gender and the surgeries that you can do and why you should and if you feel like that no all that I would say they should not have that freedom to be able to talk to my kids in that way without me, right? Right. So, I mean, as free speech as I am, I still have lines in which I don't think everybody should have the freedom to talk to anybody without any kind of, uh, with impunity. Mm. Yeah. So, solution to that is... That's, that's the question, yeah. you know? Because from the liberal mindset and where we face this is they believe these kinds of things are contributing to a damaging society that's hurting people, right? That's what they believe. They believe minorities are actively facing oppression and racism and don't have opportunities and are being killed because of certain minor systemic forms of racism in media food boxes, all of these things contribute to a system in which they are, right, they really believe that. And so thus they say, we gotta, we gotta censor, we can't have that out there. Hmm. Which yeah. is kind of similar to maybe what we would say about all of the things that are going out about transgenderism and sexuality and even now pedophilia and bestiality are becoming more accepted terminologies too you know we would say man we can't we wish that should not be out there it's damaging it's dangerous it's hurtful if i had my way they could not speak you with me you right know? well how do you get from that which is a valid concept to think about to saying that somebody like ben shapiro is contributing to that mindset right and then saying he needs to be censored too. Or Alex Jones, the nutcase that he is, is contributing to that also. He needs to be gone. How do you conflate the two? Honestly, that's the difference in thought process, though, because the liberal would say the exact same thing. A guy like Ben Shapiro, a guy like Alex Jones, is feeding this systemic racism by denying its existence and thus is directly responsible for the oppression of people. Yeah, well, they're not denying... Well, they're denying that it's systematic. Right. 
they're not denying that there's racism out there because they'll say that um, saying uh, saying that uh, you know that there's racism against white people, which they think is not a thing. So, um, well, racism's a whole another conversation I wanted to have. Yeah, that's big and broad because which will end up being another show entirely because. I don't think we have enough time to get no, into that. We're almost out of time as it is right now. <laughs> right. Three o'clock is probably a good spot. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> so this, uh, what it says, this, uh, whole, uh, this whole episode come down to the concept of self-validation? I think so. And again, what I want to even point out by saying... By saying that, where do we draw the line in censorship? I think the question of censorship is an impossible question to answer on its own as an independent question. Because what we believe should be censored is all about our values. There was a time in America where you couldn't say a curse word on the television. Yeah. And sometimes you still... And some things you still can't say. Right. And... Over time, it gets more and more open. There were certain things you couldn't show. Now we can. Well, look at... You go to other cultures, and they're totally cool with, like, regular TV showing basically pornography. Yeah, like, it's in their commercials. Right. You'll be like, you'll see something, you'll go, oh, they're showing porno on TV, and then they'll pan over, and there'll be there'll be a bottle of syrup on the, on right. the table. And that's what it's about, is that syrup for that split second it was on the thing. Yeah. You're like, oh... Okay, <laughs> go. I really want syrup now. <laughs> Which to even a lot of left-leaning people here, they would go, I don't think you should show that. <laughs> I know. That's the difference of values. Right. What we're going to decide should and shouldn't have a place in public sphere is just... So which concept is more closely to what you think the Founding Fathers had in mind when they came up with the First Amendment? I think the Founding Fathers' first idea was that it there ought to be a free market of ideology available. People should have the ability to speak publicly. And so if we're talking from a from a constitutional standpoint, I think there is an issue with what, what is the public sphere now in places like Twitter and Facebook. Those are public spheres now. Yeah. And I think we need to recognize that even though they're public, private corporations that are operating in a technological realm, they are really part of the public paradigm of conversation. And we have to, I think we just have to admit that. So does that mean they should be treated like utilities? I don't think they should be treated like utilities. Or it's available to all. Right. Everyone has equal access to it. I think they ought to be treated very much like a new thing. And we have to figure out a new set of rules. Because this is essentially like if, you know, somebody always would talk around the well, the, the, the well in town, mm-hmm. if some private company owned that well yeah, and said, these are, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't be here because you don't think the same way as this dude. Right. And I don't mean even in terms of access to what 
is necessary water. I'm just talking about in terms of this is where the free market of ideas are shared. That's where things are shared now. If, you, if somebody doesn't have access to the internet, if somebody doesn't have access to social media with their ideas, their voice is silenced. So, based on the First Amendment, should these companies be treated like, well, be regulated by the government? And said, no, you can't silence voices on here. Everyone needs access. This is my opinion, and I have no, like, biblical foundation for this. But I think, normally, a company should have the right to refuse service to mm -hmm. somebody. Normally, a company should be free to choose that or not choose that, and their success or failure should be dictated by supply and demand and public's reception of that. I think the government should not make any rules over private corporations to force their conduct or not. But I think when it comes to social media, I think we need to just recognize societally that new technology changes the rules a little bit. And that we need to recognize that this is a whole new thing that does not fit the separation of corporations from the government. I mean, all. All of these things that we recognize, this is a new thing. And what the Constitution protected as the ability to share speech was your ability to go outside and talk to your neighbor, talk to the people down the street. Well, that's how we do that now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting is we're relying on that more than ever. That is our town hall because that is our sidewalk, you know, our neighbor talk because we're all forced to be stuck at home. Yeah. And even more so over the last year when we've told people you can't go yeah. to places. Meaning our, our city council meetings were held online. You went and viewed them on a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're right. Like you and so to let that company determine what ideas are are able to be shared, I think is very dangerous. But as a believer, to even reinforce this idea, I think the greater issue of censorship is we are going to censor what we, do, what we deem as deplorable ideas, as people. Mm -hmm. That's going to be our desire. We're going to want to argue against it. We're going to want to... And the issue is the hearts of people. And I don't change that in public arguing. I really just don't. I don't change it by forcing my viewpoints. I don't change it by, you know, demanding all, even demanding all viewpoints get to be shared. I change it by going next door and showing my neighbor the real love of Jesus. Right. In a, in a pro, in private, you know what I mean? I invite that, that topic of conversation privately. So there is no moral obligation to to keep that part of to keep that in check the balance so to speak to make sure that that doesn't get out of hand I don't think we have a moral obligation no I don't think because we could talk about any number of things that are have significant repercussions that are unwise that are damaging in society 
And I don't, I can't find anything in almost any one of those to suggest that the early church, especially the apostles, especially, were looking to fix those things at the top. They're teaching those things to people at the bottom. The one-on-ones, the discipleship of lives. Let me come teach you. Here's what. Here's how Jesus Christ would have you to live. Here's what's healthy. Here's what's not healthy. Like that. Like what I just heard you, Bono said about discipleship. He mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. How discipleship's been replaced by what did? He, uh, either way, Probably that dictatorship uh, or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it's it's clearly there's not the right mindset when it comes to that. Right. Um. So that's why um, that's why pastors getting up and railing against um, certain the others uh, behind the pulpit is just as dangerous. And, I think so. And um, non helpful than it is to have these voices running around canceling everything. I think it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And if we want to get. We don't have time to open this can of worms, but I think it would be good because it's part of even the purpose of why I wanted to do this whole thing was that sometimes as especially independent Baptists, we have a culture in which certain ideas can't be shared. Oh boy, is that ever the case? Certain things can't be talked about. And if you have this perspective, you're invalidated, you know, and... I think that's I think that's exactly the same thing, and I think it's just as dangerous. It's a fear of being wrong, a fear of the other idea infecting and infiltrating us. You know, where I really believe that Jesus's perspective was: No, come, come if you've got a question, come if you've got a different idea. If your heart is to hear and learn, come and listen. You know, and I think that's how we ought to be. Because we absolutely have a strong censorship in a lot of independent Baptist circles. Um, and it's right, they always talk about there's this thing of, you know, Catholics are famous for having guilt, but, you know, I think it's just as prevalent in independent churches because they, they use, I, I think, that they're using. They're making you feel that guilt if you have these different ideas that yeah. like you said, and um, I don't know. It's almost like it's being fed upon too. It just it fuels people's. Uh, well, they're they're replacing one thing. You know, the they're replacing the things they need to have with this. You know, with guilt. I mean, it's like right. okay, I need this. I need this in my life. And I don't know if they're not doing it on purpose, but I think that's why a lot of these attitudes keep going around because it just, it feels like they're, I don't know, it's a, some way of getting validation from from feeling, you know, okay, yeah. I'm going to church because I feel guilty. And you know, I'm, I'm not explaining it right, am I? No, I think you are. And I think that, I think a lot of that is the motivation and which I hate to say it, but it really kind of was what the Pharisees did. The idea was we feel good because we're not like that. And the more ways we can point out that we're not like that and that we're separate from that, the more we can be lifted up in this idea that 
man, we're better. We have the truth. We know, you know. Yeah, and you should feel like garbage for not thinking like us. Right. You know. <laughs> and I've even heard, it's interesting because a lot of it comes out in preaching in ways in which people wouldn't even talk. You know, I heard one guy, just I mean, he just yelled, if you read the NIV, you are a pervert. Like, just really? kept saying that. And that's something he would ever say to somebody individually. Like, that's not how he would interact with a person that said, hey, I, what, do you, what do you think is the right Bible version? He wouldn't go, slap that NIV out of here. You're a pervert. He wouldn't even react that way. No. Even though he believed, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of it comes out in preaching where, whatever, culturally, because of the fundamentalist movement, we valued as independent fundamental Baptist churches the guy who screams the loudest at the most things. <laughs> You know, yeah, fire the and brimstone. The guys who's most against dress, the guy who's most against music, the guy, you know what I mean? Oh, he's really gonna give it to him. He's really gonna preach it like it is. You know, that that's phrase. the kind of so much. You know, we didn't value a more biblical, honest, balanced approach. You know, that wasn't as fun. You know. No. The guy who got up and said, hey, there's some biblical principles about dress, about being modest, and about being gender-specific, but it really doesn't come down to this specific part of clothing or not. You know, that's between you and the Lord. That's where you got liberty and freedom and the Holy Spirit to direct you. Here's what the Bible says. That guy's not as exciting as the guy who yells, you know, these heifers wearing pants. You know, that guy yeah, <laughs> was yeah. the guy that was telling it like it is, you know? I always thought of you know, uh, what I would say if people are like, well, why do you go to this church and you say this thing if I was going to be a politician or something? I thought, well, that's, you know, that's not my business. Or it's, it's between you and God. <laughs> right. And a lot of people don't have that answer, right? They just want to say, no, this is the way it is, and you have to agree with me or you're wrong. Right. Uh, and so I think, you know, as churches, we need to probably look in the mirror in those terms of censorship and ask, uh, are we, am I open to that? Do I censor ideas? Are those questions that we're free to ask? You know, Do I have the right concept of the First Amendment or not? Or... And not even from that, because I live, and, and I really believe this, this is an important distinction I believe about believers and about church. My goal as a believer and as a as a church member as a pastor is not to be the best American. That's a whole different aspect of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. My first priority is, is this biblical? Is this what God has me to do? Am I being a good Christian? And then I ask as a person, as an American citizen, am I a good American? Am I following the Constitution? Do I believe that that's worth following? Mm -hmm. All of those questions are are totally besides my faith. If I was living in Russia, I might have an odds where I might have to say my ability to be a Christian is at odds with my um, loyalty to my state government. Right? I might have that. And as a Christian in America, I have to always be open that that's possible. That's a possibility. Mm -hmm. You know? This is secondary right. to me, you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, makes sense.
I um, oh. it just feels weird to say that um, to not focus on you know such a major issue running unchecked. You yeah, know, because you know that's not what you hear. You do, you don't hear that. You know that's. Yeah, that's not the important thing, right? You hear, we've got to stop this. They're, they're, you got to get out there and um, and tell them that you don't agree and stuff like that. But in what they, and people aren't saying, like you said, you know, that's not the important thing. Well, let me say this. Christians have been playing whack-a-mole for decades. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. And it's not doing any good. It's no. not getting better. No, it's not. It's what we've done as Christians for decades, and it's not helped. Well, maybe if we're louder. Christians have been screaming about a lot of things for a long time. It's not doing any good. It's insanity. You know what Christians are not doing, and they're doing less and less every year? Is actually living out and sharing their faith in a real way. That's what we're not doing. We're not doing as much praising of God. You know what I mean? And I, this is what I mentioned last night. I know we shouldn't go on forever, but that's why I say I'm preaching. <laughs> you know, Christians live lives that they look just as angry, just as discontent, just as disturbed and hate-filled about the opponent that the people against them do. And people look at the Christian and go, "We, you're not enjoying this any more than I am. Why would I change my ideology to match yours just so I can be the same level of angry, just pointed a different direction? Who cares? Yeah. That's not going to change anybody's mind. And it's gotten to the point where the extreme, there's such an extreme of that that they look and it's like no wonder they, they, they look at them and say that Jesus was a socialist. You know, he was nothing right. like you. And I think right. I think the uh, they conflate. I think they're. It's easier for them to conflate socialist ideas with Jesus because what they're seeing from followers of Jesus yeah. is not anywhere near what he. You know what should should be like right. you say. And part of the problem is because they're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah, and I think it would make a whole greater impact in the world is if instead of people saw me arguing, they saw a person who genuinely loved his life and enjoyed it and was glad to serve the Lord mm. that was able to not be affected by all of that. That would be different. Yeah, it would. You know? Yeah, and I think <laughs> it would still obviously get people trying to pull the same thing with you. Right. But sure would sound a lot nicer. Right. And I think that that counts for something. And it counts for a lot more than just sounding like a different flavor. Different version of vanilla. Right. Because <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's essentially, it's, it's the same thing, only just a different, you know, different flavor. It's it's vanilla bean instead of home style. Yeah. You know, and, which is kind of a good analogy when you come to think of it. Because when I live that way, and, and when I live and I'm 
I'm changed by God in such a way that that I'm enjoying praising Him and enjoying life. Mm-hmm. And I just want to share that because, I mean, this is awesome. I want to tell somebody. I want to tell you about this. Then when somebody has an alternative idea, I can listen and, and I'm not affected by that because I go, yeah, tell me your thing, but I mine's way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. not a threat to mine. No, because mine's real. I feel it every day. And that's probably part of some version of why I'm open to listening to listening to other ideas, you know, where I'm not getting offended by people who talk, you yeah. know, who run with the socialist and communist values and, you know, in the grad schools and right. stuff. But I'm not able to, I don't know, I, I, I'm trying, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm able to connect it with some level, you know, as much joy as say you're getting out of it right right and um you know which is kind of frustrating sometimes but i think a lot of that has to do with focusing on the wrong things and i think it, it is for, I think for it, me not, <laughs> i should say well <laughs> i guess that was i think not, it comes down honestly to our level of contentment it really does you know because I notice I'm way more bothered, personally, by the things that are wrong in the world when I'm way more bothered, just in general. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Um, and when I'm thinking right, and when I'm living right, even when somebody comes up with the most outlandish ideas, God just gives me the ability in that time to see through that and realize this is coming from a place of hurt and lack there's this kernel of truth that's in what you're saying and that's mixed with corruption and pain that I know Jesus needs to heal. When I hear from somebody that's transgender and they're going through all these things, yeah, okay, you can listen to why that's biologically incorrect, why that is this and that and and the damage it can do to our society. But underneath all that is somebody that's hurt so deeply they think the answer is to live as a different gender yeah. and imagine the pain when they realize that's not so it doesn't it's not it doesn't heal them and then they have to they have to kind of almost pretend it did <laughs> right because they're stuck you know and and I don't want to be sitting here and argue about you know biology with you I want to find out hey how can how can Jesus heal what's wrong where it counts right because that'll fix that part, you know? Yeah, because they're not looking. And then even take that conversation and, and, and be able to recognize the kernel of truth that's in it, too. And see that there are legitimate biological abnormalities that are a little tricky. Mm-hmm. There are people that are born intersex. Right. And I ought to have enough grace where I'm not yelling so loud against transgenderism that I act like, this person has no place in God's kingdom. You yeah, know what I mean, you're right, but they're not. You know, they're not born in the wrong body, though. I and mean, these intersex—that's that's kind of a where they're born with like some of the same anatomy, right? I mean, sharing. It's well. Depi- are they born in the wrong body? Well, define wrong. Wrong is in not correctly formed. <laughs> well, no, like saying that they're in the sense that if I was born with one leg that was wrong (laughs) born born as a man when you think you're a woman right but there are accounts that are 
a form of intersect where the predominantly formed physically genitalia at the moment is was not and will not be the predominant hormone structure in the body throughout life. Yeah. And so especially early on, um, there are many adults walking around where essentially they amputated the wrong genitalia. So when they're born like a hermaphrodite, they took they got rid of the wrong thing. They made a choice and then later on they found out, oh no, chromosomally hormone structure, this person's producing this. Mm-hmm. And now they've got I want to have grace to those kinds of circumstances. Well, those kinds, that's that's a little different than... It is. It's a little different than being born a complete male or complete female, right. and then five years later being told, well, because you, because you like right. wearing a dress, that you must, you know, you must be right. female, like, in, on the inside. Right, I would say it's a whole different thing, but people in the transgender community will put all those people together. Yeah, in the same pot. Because if I say things about transgenderism that are that are blatantly um, antagonistic towards them, yeah, that's what... to hurt them because I think their ideology is damaging, I inadvertently hurt people in that that are, they just don't know what to do with the de- hand that they were dealt. They're just looking for people that love them and will help them. Yeah. You know, yep. it's the difference of going to an abortion clinic and holding up. If you kill your baby, you're a murderer. I, th- I think it's the wrong sign. Mm-hmm. The right sign should read, "Please don't hurt your child. We will help you." All right. That's the sign. I will help you. Let's find a way in which we can find, you know, parents. You know, maybe maybe you don't want to be a parent, but there's circumstances in your life that cause that. Maybe you need help. Mm-hmm. And I can help you through a drug addiction or a financial circumstance. All right. Maybe, you know, maybe you just cannot be a parent right now. We need to, there are adoption people. There are people waiting on adoption. You know, but the difference is that the proper sign is, I feel your pain. I want to help you. Don't do the wrong thing. Rather than, you're an idiot. I hate you. And I want to oppose your ideology. There's... You know, we, we used to go to the the abortion arch uh, in Fairbanks. Yeah. It would be right outside the clinic, you know, and which is great. Some of the signs were a little problematic, sure, just like you're saying. Um, I forget what kind of sign I, I'd grab, but it was usually something that was basically a Bible verse or something. Yeah. Instead of one of these more provocative ones that right. they had there. Because, let's face it, you know, churches sometimes don't, like you said, don't have issues with being so antagonistic. Right. So, um, so groups started, or a group started showing up. They weren't on the same sidewalk. Sometimes they tried that, but they decided to stay on the other sidewalk, on the other side of the driveway. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, one of the signs they would hold up is they would, they had a song, um, they had a sign that said "Honk if you love vaginas." Okay. Yeah, and uh, so people would drive by and honk, and they thought that was great, you know, because some of them were um, some of them were gay. I think that was implied by some of the 
the signage and the colors on the sign okay. and it's like comic which had nothing to do with the abortion thing mm-hmm. but I think they were trying to be provocative also mm-hmm. and and uh, and um, I told we were we were walking away from them and I think I think my wife was the kids the younger the boys were in school and we had Jojo in a stroller you know all bundled up because it's super cold out mm-hmm. and I was like oh, I don't know vaginas <laughs> I said I said I don't see anything wrong with that sign <laughs> you know because I didn't find it as pro- you know people were getting incensed on on the church side because of that sign I'm like there's technically nothing wrong with that sign. Right. Yeah, and uh, Kelly said, uh, you're only supposed to love one. Because <laughs> I, I said, we've got a point. I know. And I, I was like, oh, you know what I mean. And she's like, had this look on her face like, do I? If it was plural. I know. She I know. got you in the technicality. I know, I know. <laughs> so, and, but see, they took it a playful manner to be provocative. They were trying to... Well, they were probably trying to make him angry, yes. And, right. yeah, but, I don't know, It's it had a different effect than, you know, and it was the same It was the same way. The, the church was being provocative first, and then they showed up and started making these signs that were provocative, but they were fun for the people that were outside the situation. Right, right. Yeah, and it's uh, like, yeah. and so we're having this conversation that's totally out of place on our side of the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Kelly's wearing the full, the, the heavy denim skirt that's like down to the oh, ankles, yeah, yeah. you know. And I, it was just kind of an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> and we're all laughing, and I, it's like, if anybody had heard that, oh my goodness, why? I, I don't know. See, that's the thing. They, they just take the wrong. They're, they're concentrating on the wrong thing. Yeah, like you said, and uh, it was just kind of a side note that had something to do with what we were talking about with yeah. the signs, and I just thought I'd bring it up because it was funny. <laughs> See, this is a conversation I couldn't have had with that pastor ever. Well, there you go. Because I was scared to death of him. <laughs> I, I think, think that's, that's and that's another conversation for another time. time but just how much more Puritan we are than the Bible is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, a lot of Christians would not even just read Song of Solomon out loud. Like, those are not things. Well, how many services have you ever been in where the guy preached from Song of Solomon? Right. Like, I could probably count them all on one hand. Which I'm not necessarily saying it should be with children present. I'll say this. Because if you actually go through there and look at some of the things that are said, yeah. it is, I mean, explicit. Yeah. Very sexually explicit. Things my kids do not need to know exist by yet. And it's... Um, not sing-songy, but it's, it's lyrical. Yeah. And has some elements that are kind of... Shakespearean. Yeah. It is in the English version. Yeah. At least in the English version, there's there's a rhyming pattern that's much like some of the stuff Shakespeare wrote. And that's intended because it it is a book of poetry. Right. It was written to be poetic in nature. Mm -hmm. 
whether that was to be put to a song that could be debated, but certainly that was possibility, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that it was meant to be, and that's an important distinction, that it was meant to be public. Right. And it was kind of, you know, and ignoring that, I think, has done a lot of harm in the sense of, I don't know, relationships. Because it's made this whole idea that you can't think like that. And it goes back to the same thing. That's that's the thing I want to spend a whole subject matter on is this idea of sexual abuse, sexual repression, um, that whole ball of wax that takes place in Christianity because of these things where abuse is covered up and excused and women are blamed for the actions of men because of how they dress and the idea of this purity culture and all that whole thing that mischaracterizes what God says about sexuality. You know, that's a whole conversation. You know. But I think it does have value in just noting this. It ought to be up for discussion. Yeah. It ought not be censored. It's there for a reason. It needs to be talked about. Yeah. I mean, like I told my wife, we were, it's like you do realize that people don't get together because they're like, well, they're going to make a good financial partner. Right. I'm not saying, I love the look of their checking account. Right. Like we were made well, some people do, but well, but we agree as a culture that's not healthy. Yeah, and it, it's like we were made to be sexual beings, whether you want to admit it or not. And you know, to exclude that from the conversation is not doing anybody any good. And when we talk about this, we'll talk about this in depth. But what makes it real interesting is that Song of Solomon is overtly sexual about the nature of a husband and wife and the excitement of that but it's allegorically about the amount of love and adoration God has for his people and that where it gets really strange makes people uncomfortable yeah and not obviously that God has to be blasphemous to say he has sexual inclinations towards his creation not at all take it right. off before we even talk about it let's take it off the table but Right, <laughs> but that what he designed in sexuality is a physical expression of a love that only he understands and communicates to us, and that even that is supposed to showcase God, making sexuality godly in its iteration. Right between husband and wife. Right. yeah, I think, you know, I've known many people that have gone to alternative lifestyles that have hurt themselves. You know, they just never felt like they could bring it up. They never felt like it was a question that could be asked. I've talked to young people that I knew. I knew they were struggling with it. I've looked young people in the eyes. And one person in particular I'm thinking of right now that I looked and I said, listen, I know you are struggling with homosexual feelings. I want you to know you can talk about that. I want you to know that that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't say I know. I, I actually asked him, you know, if he did. And he said no. And I just said, if you did, 
but I knew. Right. And I said, you can. This is the place to talk about that. I want to help you with that. You don't want to do that alone. I want right. you to know God's not mad at you for feeling those things. No, no, yeah. You know, and he wanted to talk to them, but he just, man, just felt like that he could not. And he never mentioned it. And then one day, was done. He made a Facebook post. This is what I am. This is what I'm embracing. I'm not going to church. I'm not this. I'm not going to be that with those people. And it was gone. The next day he was gone. Nobody church was ever going to see him again. You know, he just made the decision because it couldn't have been talked about. You know. Yeah, it's yeah. And so as Christians, I think maybe even that's a that's maybe even a more important discussion for us personally than is the question of whether or not certain people should be able to post what they want on a Facebook place, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's always, it seems like there's there's always something else that should be concentrated on, right? And people can't help but get wrapped around these kind of things. Right. But I think we're we're out of time here now. I think so. Three thirty. Uh, we've seen that forty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's so easy for that to happen, isn't yeah. it? Which is great because you know conversations need to take place. Yeah. And that's what this is all here for is so those conversations can have a venue that uh, you're not going to hear uh, sitting in a pew for the yeah. most part. Yeah. Let's face it, I'm not going to tell that story <laughs> around other people. Right. And, you know, and then is there, boy, the looks you get sometimes, right? <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess this is it until next time when we're probably going to be talking about some, about the same thing. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, I don't know exactly what we'll be talking about next time, but um, this year has been a lot of fun this time, I think. Um, well, fun and productive yeah it's been productive yeah i think so absolutely all right uh well until next time you know this is justin heineke and this is chip now uh signing off and uh hope to see you again